What's happening, weirdos? Uh, right off the bat, thanks to everybody who came out in Oxnard, the Nard. The shows were great with Lara Bites. Uh, awesome shows all around. And uh, Mike Falzoni, the opener. We, we're just having great shows. Uh, Nashville is sold out. Uh, so if you are on the fence with Cleveland, come to Cleveland. That's next after Nashville. Then San Jose and Houston and Phoenix. You can also get the tour shirts are available at PeteHolmes.com and tickets to all of those shows. There's links at PeteHolmes.com. That checks out. My next Largo show, Living at Largo, the last Living at Largo. Uh, I mean, we always have the best drop-ins. Zach Galifianakis, Judd Apatow. This is the uh, this is the awesome show. This is where I do my stand-up and bring out uh, all the coolest and best other stand-ups that are in L.A. So it's always a highlight of my month. Go to Largo-LA.com for tickets. The one on 2-7. I can't say who it is, but it's going to be an incredible special guest. So go to Largo-LA.com if you'd like to be there. Uh, my book, Comedy Sex God, is available. This, by the way, is B.J. Novak. I should have said that. This is B.J. Novak, who I've known for a very long time. Uh, we talk about that. You know B.J. from The Office. He's an incredible writer and producer. He's a great stand-up. And he's also written books. We get into all that. You know him. You're going to enjoy him. You're going to enjoy uh, me becoming more and more like BJ. I always mirror the guests. So this is a this is a BJ Flav. Flav? Who have I become? As you guys know, we don't do uh, traditional ads on the podcast always. Uh, we do products that I love and use every single day. Uh, things like cachava. Cachava is what I had for breakfast. I'll probably have it for lunch. It's like 3 o'clock. I'm getting hungry. Cachava is a plant-based superfood drink mix. That It's such a sim- oversimplification to call it a drink mix. It's like a meal in a pill. It's the fastest, most, most nutrient-dense plant-based superfood uh, miracle. I'll call it a miracle that I've ever found. They went into the jungle. The Kachava team are real badass explorers that go into the jungle and find the most nutrient-rich superfoods. It's a hundred percent plant-based. It's got omega threes, which everybody knows you omega needs. Okay. It's got eight superfruits. It's got seventeen greens and veggies. It's gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's got co- powdered coconut milk, which I really think is one of the secrets of why it's so good which you can make it with just water, but it mixes with the powdered coconut milk, making it chocolatey and creamy or vanilla-y and creamy, if that's the flavor you prefer. It's got adaptogens. It's got 24 grams of plant-based protein, 9 grams of fiber. For people who are uh, curious about what it feels like in your body, nutritionally, energy-wise, mood-wise, to eat more plant-based, but they don't know where to start, I always point them to cachava. For people like me who have a baby, or people who are trying to manage their health or their weight, or people that travel a lot like me. Kachava is a wonderful secret weapon. It's actually delicious. It's not just like health food delicious. It's actually delicious. You can put almond milk in it, frozen berries in there. It tastes like strawberry ice cream and makes you feel amazing. You get a nutrition high from it. You don't even know what your body is missing until you give it to your body and then you just feel fantastic. And, uh, and you go, hey, Pete, thanks for the cachava. Plus, you'll be showing your support of this always free podcast with 20% off. K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird. You'll get 20% off your order and show your support of this show. Uh, the other Pete's pick this week. What am I wearing? Pink. Me undies. <laughs> I'm just wearing pink me undies because that's what I'm about. I love me undies. Uh, you guys know this recently. I found out from about me undies. 
uh, from another podcast I was just listening to. I did a complete uh, overhaul. I realized that putting on just bad-fitting, boring pattern underwear every morning, I was like, I'm a grown man. What am I doing? I want to start my day with something that fits perfect, that's super soft. It's like four times softer than cotton. It's made from micro-modal fabric, softer than cotton, and it fits perfect, and the patterns are actually fun. Whenever I'm wearing them, Leela points at them. Some of them I have ones with pizzas on them and tacos on them, and she loves them, and she points and she laughs, which is what I'm looking for. <laughs> Babies pointing and laughing. But it makes me happy. It's weird. It's like a fun, silly way to start the day to because I like the silly patterns. Or you can just get, like what I'm wearing now, pink, black, your standards. It's going to be the best fitting underwear you've ever got. It's going to be the most comfortable, the softest. And they also make onesies and loungewear. I often record this podcast in my pajamas. Those are my MeUndies uh, lounge pants. Incredible. Made from the same stuff as the underwear. So soft. They got Star Wars patterns. They got uh, Valentine's Day. If you're looking to match <laughs> match your uh, sweetheart, go ahead. Match the undies. Get real cute. Be as cute as people think you are and match my undies. Uh, and get some fun patterns there, or a onesie, or some lounge pants, and just be adorable and barftastic together. Uh, it's a fun time of the year to redo your underwear because of this made-up holiday. That's what I'm saying. What I what is totally 100% real is I love them. I reached out to them. I said, let's do this. I want to tell people about the best underwear that I own. And they said, hell yeah. So if you want to show your support of this podcast and treat your booty to some really nice fitting, premium, high quality stuff. Get 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee. You can even sign up for their monthly service. I get a little, like it's almost like a Ziploc bag, cool packaging of a, uh, a new pair of underwear. It's embarrassing to admit how excited I get when I'm opening my new pair. And I always have new, fresh, clean undies that I clean. They're all clean. MeUndies.com slash weird. That's MeUndies.com slash weird all right guys uh enjoy bj excited to see you guys out on the road the shows have been incredible we'll see you in nashville cleveland san jose houston and phoenix and on february 7th here in los angeles largo-la.com for tickets okay in the meantime enjoy my chat with the brilliant and hilarious bj novak we're already started (laughs) that's what you should know this is on mic. Great. I'm sure the sound quality is terrific. What a pro. I'm JK. Um, but we are, we are rolling, and you don't need to know anything. You didn't listen to fellow cast member Rain Wilson? No, I listened to some, though. But not? Just to be sure that shots are being fired. You did not? Oh, yeah. Let's make some news. <laughs> we need clickbait. BJ Novak says, Rain Wilson, I'd rather stand in the rain Unlistenable. with the guy who played Wilson from Home Improvement. I'm being recorded. You think I'm this funny for free? What are you gonna, These are hits. Are you, splice me in? you have so many drinks. <laughs> and a lot. And a, and a long sleeve yellow tea, which I never see. And I'm loving it. Long sleeve tea is the greatest clothing item in LA. Is it even a T at that point? It's more of a, it's an M. Mm. I don't know how good this content is, but, <laughs> but yeah. a long sleeve tea, I've worn it ever since I moved here. You, about 363 days a year, it's the perfect thing to wear. 
in oh, LA weather. Tea. Yeah. So it's like 63 to 71 out here. Which is? Long sleeve tea weather. <laughs> what? I just like that you played the game. Like, the game? Yeah, that I said, which is, and you said, long sleeve tea weather. Oh, sure. But don't, <laughs> not everybody does that. Um, it was just the holidays. You weren't just hanging out with people that wouldn't have done that. I feel like if you're not like a funny person, uh huh. I'm not saying you have to be professional, right? Funny, right. But you have are, to be a yeah. funny person for right. someone to go. It was like 63 to 78, which is right, and then they go long sleeve tea weather. Yeah, Most yeah. people would go, what? Right. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a hell of a bit. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bit. I'm saying we're we're preheating the oven. Mm-hmm. We're getting cooking. Yeah, you're on fire. Just we were having a sandwich outside, and you were you ate a whole sandwich. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? That's the scoop. Forget that you hate Rain Wilson. Forget it. Who did you like the least? Rain. <laughs> but did implies past tense. I still, I still actively despise do. the man. Yeah. Of all his Haiti charity work. Oh my Jesus! Leave them alone. Did white he? savior complex. Much did he? <laughs> Is he white? Just kidding. He's like the Pictionary sketch for the no, clue. He's great. White. He's one of the guys people ask me most about. You know what were they like? Oh really? What's Dwight like? Yeah. And they call him Dwight. Well, otherwise, because what if they say what's Rain Wilson like? They've already thought about him a little, and they probably know he's probably not like that. If you're just thinking of him as Dwight, you're thinking, what is he like? What is Dwight like? Yeah. As long as soon as you call him Rain Wilson, you're like, well, <laughs> he's a person. First of all, he's not Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the first thing to know. I noticed Val and I, for pleasure, watch Office bloopers oh. all the time. Right, because those are supposed to be for uh, for research purposes Well, what I mean only. is you're doing the podcast, so I could have been researching. Oh. That was unclear. Right. I mean, like, it's for just pleasure. a coincidence. Most people, it's torture. <laughs> I hate bloopers. Yeah. Get the scene! It's, it's- I can see that being some sort of masochistic uh, content. For people that like, just want the story to move forward. Or just, yeah, just like you hate seeing your favorite people mess up. I oh, love it. You know, I, you could certainly imagine that was the only take. There's definitely a narrative you could construct in which bloopers are, are um, a vicarious nightmare. You're in show business. You say, these are the scenes that were ruined. Right. <laughs> and you're like, no, they're laughing. You, you lost it. You could watch it in show business and, and just feel torture for them, I guess. You'd be like, it would have been such a good show. Yes. Yeah. I had a sketch idea you where- You present it to somebody who's never seen The Office and be like, this was almost an amazing show. Wow. This is the ruined footage. And right. Like, oh, that this was is so- why we I was couldn't really get into it. it. Yeah. We never got it. We never- That's why they- And all released. the scenes are so disconnected. Well, yeah. <laughs> was that- we shot out of order and just like, that's why <laughs> just random mistakes throughout seasons. <laughs> we tried his hair this way. We tried- yeah. <laughs> There is a lot of hair. We tried so hard. You had mad '90s hair in the pilot. You had I like, really did. You had like Nickelback. Thank you. Hair. Yes, I really did. Yeah, it's really funny. I know. But everybody's hair looks stupid in the first season. Um, the reason my hair looks like that is because my first job was on Punked, and they did my hair in the trailer, and I was so nervous. And that I was the first everyone such an expert. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ashton, it been, was going like my, now. Party I, in the middle. Party knew, in the middle. I knew my hair looked terrible, but I was like, who am I to? second guess a hollywood hair person oh they're a professional and then my. after the prank which i was terrified during the only thing ashton said to me and i love ashton the only thing he said to me is what's with your hair hilarious and i said i didn't like it they did it like this and he said 
never let him touch your hair. And he was so cool. You know, in 2005, he was on the cover of everything. I just got here and I thought, oh, wow, that's such wisdom. And then on The Office, I didn't let him touch my hair for a season. And I think they were like, okay. Like, and, uh, you know, the hair is kind of. Wait, so your own idea wasn't better than what it was on punk? Well, the punk hair was especially bad. Yeah, Yeah, it was worse. My hair was better than the punk hair, but it wasn't as good as it got later when they were like, hey, let's just make this hair look kind of more normal. Yeah, and it was oh, okay. This is much better. You needed some help. Yeah, not that it's interesting, but I don't. I I don't like anyone else styling my hair. It feels weird. Okay, I just wanted to join. Note you. to self: Wow, do not style Pete's hair. <laughs> you are a full brick wall. Um, You're a comedy brick wall. Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> Meaning the funniest thing to do? Yeah. When I offered my little addition to yeah. that subject was to just be like, note it, <laughs> like. My, I don't know what else you could have done. No, my but first, your style is kind of like okay, like well, that's what's funny. That's one my, of the things yeah, that's funny stylistically. About you. That is my delivery style. I meant to throw forward, to be honest. To did you you okay. to an image of me style me having wanted to style your hair? Yes, and note to self, he doesn't like that. Ah, that was the image in my head. I didn't. You mean were to already say, on C. Yeah, but you said A. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't mean to shut it down. I oh yeah, thought, I, didn't, I thought you'd follow me there. I thought you were doing it to be funny, to be like, mm-hmm. no, because mm-hmm is pretty funny. I do it well. Here, love it. That's my move. Here's what I let's talk about this because we worked together. What was it? Ten um, and I cite 15? this all the time. You I do, cite, I do, because you blew me off the stage. You opened for me. You blew me off the stage, and I say... I thought when you said you know, blew me off, I thought, I thought it was like socially. You no. blew me off. I was super excited. <laughs> you I almost killed. looked up the email because my agent at Auburn Moon, my old college agency, uh, Jeff emailed me, and he was like, I got a gig opening for BJ Novak. And I was like, I shit in my head. Oh, so you brought it. I was really excited. You came to kill, and you did. I was one you of You came the- to embarrass me. <laughs> I definitely came to do well... For sure. Not naively, but like, I wasn't an idiot. I, I wasn't like, fine. he's going to put me I, on the office, but you're like, this I is a guy I, I want to do a well solid B, um, but you, you didn't A+. That's plus. the B You really B killed day. it. Yeah. I'm A plus J. You were. Back. Yeah. But, you killed it. And the other people <laughs> that blew me off the stage that opened for me in those days, Tig. Oh, shit. Destroyed. I would never want to follow Tig. Yeah. And Mulaney, I asked, I knew he was better. I asked him to open for me. I knew who he was. I thought, let's give the audience the best possible show. Yeah. If John can do it, great. And then- I read a comment online after that was like, big mistake asking John Mulaney to open. I was like, I did that for you. Wow. I did it for you guys. That happened to me because I did a show in I New York. I got the best I could. Recently. Yeah. And John is my friend. And I was like, come do it. Yeah. Not not open, but come be a, a, celebra- a, a surprise guest. Mm-hmm. And he did. Yeah. And he does great. Yeah. And then I do great. Uh-huh. But then somebody still had to say something. In person, not even online. They were like, well, you, know, you asked to follow John Mulaney. Right. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I, like, this is I really you. was like, yeah, that was a gift. Yeah. Don't. And then you, you say to Santa, well. You, you're my manager now. You're the audience. Yes. You sit back. You say thank you. Yeah. It's like on Great British Bake Off where they go, the cake's a little dry. Just say thank you for the fucking cake. Yeah. I made you a cake. Yeah. And they're going, well, that cake was underproved. Shut the fuck up. I called him and had him come here. I don't watch the show, but no, none <laughs> of that was like, about Great British Bake Off. Sounds like some of your listeners are loving it. Without, Paul Hollywood listens to this show. Hmm. I, that's a fake. Why am I riffing on something you don't know about? Katie, do you watch that show? Undeproved. You should watch it. Okay. Stonewall. Yeah. 
Stone. Um, Stonewall. My, the, okay. No, I like it. All right. You know what it is? It's a, it's in the same because you uh, get to play tennis against this wall. That's right. Yeah. It's so actually like, no, 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 do it. We it's used great. to call that game suicide. You're from oh, New boy. England. Yep. The game where you throw a ball against the wall. Throw. And, yeah, right. Right. Yeah, that was called suicide. Hmm. I don't know what they call it now. Dark. It's not suicide. No. There's no way the kids are like we're all playing suicide now. Like, no. It's no. called one eight hundred. 388 or whatever. Yeah, that's right. It's the, it's the prevention number. Because yeah. we're, we're more evolved. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Here's why I brought up the bloopies. Okay. Oh, wait. Let's finish this anecdote about hey, you. do you think if you... there was a show where Jeff Ross roasted vegetables and stuff? But in the like, oven? Yeah. On the cooking channel. It's like Jeff Ross. He shows you how to roast roasts things. things. And it was on cooking. And, and he never mentioned. People are like, why? Like people that don't know his comedy are like, why him? That's hilarious. And he doesn't, maybe he's funny on it. Maybe he insults Every stuff, once in a while. He acts as though it's a total separate booking. It's like, why is Ginger always dirty? A li- he does a little bit of just that. Just a little. But it's really just a kind premise. of. premise. It's offhand while he roasts. <laughs> that's as, as two people who like making stuff. That's like a very, like, that is a, that, that's it's a robot chicken. If he did that, that's it's robot for us. chicken. No, but you'd need to put it on. Family Guy. You just pitched a Family Guy cutaway. What I, this yes. is worse than when Jeff Ross had that I, cooking show. I did, and you're I'm right. I'm going to roast but this. But here's the problem, and it's a, it's a societal um, uh, sad phenomenon to me, is that the, the sense of breaking the matrix of reality with a prank, there's such a difference between saying it and doing it. You got to do it. Oh, yeah. Like it's You got to try to get Jeff Ross on. The, it'd be legend. Yeah. It has to actually happen. Can I and, tell you? And otherwise, you're just you're riffing for yourselves. Yeah, I don't I, know how to make that happen, but I, that's what it should be. I had dinner with John Mulaney a couple nights ago. You didn't hear anything I just said. No, no, this ties back okay. in. Now you're going to see why this is a award-winning podcast. Is it? There are no awards. Are There's there? probably podcast awards. The potties, uh, and the potty potty mouths. The potty mouth goes to Mark Marin. Yeah, he would definitely. But I'm reading the awards, but I was nominated, so I have to be like, why hasn't anyone started? There must be something. The potties? There's pod awards. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what they are, though. I think it's the Oscars. I think it's when they go to the commercials. It should be a podcast, obviously. Like, you could start, get all well, the Well, the Emmys is a TV show. And also, the, people don't know that they didn't show up. So you get every podcaster like, hey, Karina Longworth, can you just record a 15 second uh, thank you speech? Yeah. And it's like, and then you just add applause, and it's like, whoa, they all were there. What a glamorous event. I love what you're saying because when I listened to podcasts and then would be a guest on them, the way I imagined them was so much more luxurious and, and uh, you know, stylish. Like it was always in a, like a cool studio. Like I did Jimmy Pardo's podcast, and I was like, that guy's probably behind glass, and he's chiming in like a radio station, and then you go there, and it's just like a room in Glendale. Hmm. Like this podcast, we're just in my fucking garage. Sure. You get it. Yeah. Stonewall. Here's my... Here's my... <laughs> this, is why, this is why this is... I'm still thinking about the Jeff Ross cooking show. That's what I'm like, is. who do I know at Food Network this is, that would get it and would willing, be willing to lose their job over this just for the art of the game? For the love of the art of the game. Well, that's meta. Here's the Mulaney moment. We were having a, a regular dinner. And in my mind, just for a split second, and this is, this is me not following through, I was like, it would be so much more interesting. Life is boring. I'm 40. I've had a lot of dinners with John. You know what I mean? And I was like, we're just kind of oh, doing must the, be nice. the usual. Must be nice. Must be nice. Well, he is the funniest person in the world. And many dinners with them. Many. Wow. And so we can so end much. This, would you say keep so it crispy? So much that that's they're not even interesting to you. <laughs> Is that a brag? 
I've had I had I can't tell you how many lunches I've had with Dave Chappelle. You I'm are sick s- of it. <laughs> Dude, when Chappelle used to pop in at the Boston, the club I started at, yep. I would dread it because I was the MC, so I would I'd have to wait three hours. Uh-huh. Right. So I've done that too. So you I'm a real where? piece of shit. It was called the Boston Comedy Club. Where was that? In Manhattan. <laughs> oh, welcome. I was like, there wasn't the much. We're both from Boston area. As it was started me. by a guy to be like, we'll have Boston. Comics. Well, come up Boston here. comics are great. They are great. Yeah, and you're from the. Yeah, I'm the from. Hub. I count. Yeah. But you're from Newton. Exactly. So I don't say Boston because, like, what if it's like a Wahlberg? Who's like, oh, yeah, what part? What part? Like, well, what part of Boston are you from? Well, a part you've never been to. You want to fight? Yeah. <laughs> you want to fight hey, just buddy. for fun? Hey, BJ, what's hey. that stand for? Bruises on your jaw? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen every episode of Wahlburgers. Every Not episode. Not Great British Bake Off? No, I know. Living wrong. No. No, JK, is that a good show? I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, really? obviously. Why? Ironically? Because I think the show is not about what they think it's about. Hilarious. Yeah. So you're watching it like meta. But I also love I love the scenery. You oh, know, Boston. So many shots of Boston. You like Boston. I yeah. I feel very affectionate towards it. I like it. That's so condescending. Oh, it's a cute town. <laughs> no, I do like it. I do like it. I feel very warmly about it. There's yeah. a lot of comics I know that just like love it that are from there. Like I did comics come home. Yeah, I love it. And it was fun. Oh, I'm actually saying I don't necessarily have the same enthusiasm. I know. That like Dennis Leary really seems to like have a passion for it. Right. Like he has an apartment there, I'm pretty sure. Like he mm. fucking loves it. Yeah. And like loves the culture. And I'm always sort of like, I'm from Lexington. Like right. that's not so I I associate more with Massachusetts yeah, maybe, I know, to say, I know. than Boston specifically. Because like you, when I say I'm from Boston, a Wahlberg will be like, What pot? I'm yeah. like Lexington. He's like, oh, yeah. Lexington is literally where Mark Wahlberg goes in the fighter and someone's like, You take me to Hoity Toity Lexington? <laughs> And yeah. the and the Pam. Well, from, you could be from the wrong part of Dorchester, and he'd make fun of you. That's true. What part? What part of Mattapan are you from? Right. <laughs> oh, Mission Hill. Uh huh. I call the woman. What's her name? Amy Adams. I call her Movie Pam. Uh that's just a joke for now. Because Pam on the Office yeah. is so much like Amy Adams. You know, me. she was in an episode, and Jim chose Amy Adams over Pam in Say, season one. Really? Season one, episode six. Yeah. So you're not wrong. Whoa. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Mm-hmm. I like that very much. All right. We have a lot of irons in the fire, and I'm going to get to all of them. A lot of tabs open here. <laughs> if we it's hit an overwhelming, X, we're in big trouble. It's an overwhelming Firefox. Yeah. A lot of command T's happening. Are you sure? This will close 12 windows. Do you, sometimes it goes, do you want me to restore? Firefox closed inappropriately. Do you want me to restore? And I'm what like, do you click? No. no. Let no. it go. No. I don't need an open tab. It's like when you're writing a script and you cut something, but you can't bear to, so you put it in another doc. You're like, I'll just save this. Never, I do that. Never comes back. I do that. You're like, no, thank you. Cut no this. one's ever looking at scripts like, what did we cut? Should we put it back? Yeah. Never. It's always making It's like shorter. sending it to a farm upstate. <laughs> That's right. Oh, this is great. We'll find a place for this. You're in office cut bits. Dot FDX. Right. <laughs> like, that's where he lived. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of names for that. <laughs> candy bag, we call it. The candy bag? Yeah, which kind of feels like a gross anatomical You've never. I've euphemism. gone back and searched for a joke in a cut bit stock. Okay. Like a keyword, and I found it. Yeah, totally. I think, well, for stand-up, I think it makes a lot of sense. Oh, in I'm talking about a script. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. In fact, that reminds me of one of my favorite office jokes of all time, which hinges on Dwight a find and replace. Do you oh remember that? Oh my God. Thank you. It's and one of I was my about favorite to say, jokes of all time. I, I wrote that. I 
felt and like you ev- did based on this conversation. Every, every time someone says my favorite office joke, I'm like, oh boy, I can guarantee I did not write it. You wrote this one, and baby. And last time, my friend Nikki Get the Kraft, potty ready. This, is the, this exact joke was the last time someone said a joke that I had written. This is when, in Threat Level Midnight, you are such an idiot dwigged. Dwigged. And Jim pieces together that he had to find place. the idiot character from Dwight to something else, and one of them was misspelled, so it didn't replace. <laughs> it's the most writer joke. It's such a writer but joke. But when I saw Thank it, you. I wasn't yet writing. So it wasn't like I just enjoyed it. I you just still got it. it. I got it. Yeah. People know find and replace. Yeah. Command F. Uh, yeah. You can do that. Okay. Yeah, but a typo. They don't have that smart. I that wouldn't it. take long for Blake Ross if you're listening to program. Blake Ross is a very funny comedy writer who um, invented Firefox. He did? Yeah. Really? When he was like a teenager. For fun? For Firefox? Well, he was, that's what he did. He was like a oh. brilliant you know, engineer, hacker, programmer. And then, and he, then got- he worked at Facebook. And, uh, and now he made his money and wants to write comedy. He's very funny. He wrote a Silicon Valley spec that he put online. It was really good. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love that when someone cashes in... And makes all that they ever need. Then they're like, now I can do comedy. Doesn't it make you feel good that you do comedy? I guess so. I, yeah, we should take that in. Because also... You should take that in. You know, in. my friend John Mayer. I'm, I'm like, how I can you I was thinking be, about John Mayer How can morning? you be a rock star and want to do comedy? Like, yeah. music is the highest level of all, I think, of artistic Well, they envy each and other. And being a billionaire, or not that Blake's a billionaire, but being, you know, super an inventor, yeah. a rich inventor. Right. But uh, there's something about comedy that really speaks to people. Because it's completely you, right? And I think that's what makes mm. it, when it doesn't work, that's what makes it When it, it doesn't so work, painful. it's not quite you. Or, or that's even more interesting. It's not working. Sometimes it can be working, but it's not quite you, so it's not working as well as it could because you're not being real. Well, that, to me, is the, is the fascinating question of comedy that I wrestle with, which is, does the audience tell you who you are, or do you tell the audience who you are? Does George and Lucas that's, own it's Star life, Wars? Too. It's life, too. It's just George Lucas own Star Wars. Who owns it? The fans or George Lucas? That is a different and great question. I, I think. think it's similar. Okay, how? Because if I'm doing jokes and the, and the audience responds when I do jokes that are, say, from the perspective of a dorky dad, which okay. was a breakthrough for me, am I, I'm letting them have agency over the type of material I do. I was just talking to Duncan Trussell about this. He was like, if you tweet something and it gets a lot of faves, you need to start like, tweeting other stuff. Like, go away from it. And I'm like, no, that's free R&D. That's the audience telling you who they who, see you as, who, who they your see place you in the world is. And then you... I believe in like you know a give and a take you need to take that in yep. and if you decide to violate it know that you're violating but do it also to delight them yeah i wouldn't do it just on principle to be like well now they expect me to do this i'm gonna be this i'm like no that's so valuable that's like a focus group mm-hmm. saying bj novak is very funny at the Stonewall. right do more of that right but i'm a pragmatist no i think that i, I am too and I, I tend to be on that side but i also wonder how much it limits you, I mean, it teaches you who you, I'm talking on a, on a personal level oh. as well as comedy. It teaches you who you are, but it also could be someone else telling you who you are. Right. You know? But who, if not someone else tells you kind of who you are? Who, if not someone else? Right. I know. I mean, like we figure out who we are. If it's not on stage, it's still bouncing it off other people. Yep. Like, like I, I was stoned. Well, the, the, the people like, in your life, people the people in your life are your audience. That's right. You know, I mean, it's the same idea. Right. We were just talking about, I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if I can turn it into a stand-up bit because it's kind of sensitive. But Ricky Gervais used to have a bit about why do gay people talk effeminately, right? 
he was like, you start having sex with a man, and and it's it's not really an appropriate bet. What if I walked out of the podcast right now? Hilarious. Got so many points. Oh my god, I'm just quoting, and you're like canceled. I am not canceled. <laughs> I am quoting. But my point is, everyone's faking it. I just said this on another episode, but I was like, Kid Rock is faking it. You know what I mean? No. Everyone's doing what they're doing. He's not really named Kid Rock. Hilarious. I just mean a macho guy is right. also leaning into whatever's gaining him love, respect, and partners. Well, a friend of mine pointed out, you know, Justin Bieber having so many tattoos. A lot of people having so many tattoos because you're from a culture where you, where you need to prove you're hard. And people are constantly mocking you in, in Wahlbergian fashion hey, for not being from? hard enough. Where are you from? You know, so someone with a lot of tattoos, you, I don't have tattoos, do you? No. You might look at them and think, whoa, that guy's hard. Sure. He wants you to think that because at some point he felt not hard. Right. And if you want to attract a certain type of other person, you alter your, even the way you might speak. What right. I'm saying is everyone's oh, fake. Okay. Like, remember in junior high when all our voices were changing and some of the boys, their voices changed earlier. And some of the guys like me that still got called ma'am when I called CVS <laughs> to see if the new Dick Tracy figures were in. <laughs> I would answer the phone and you'd be like, hello? It's junior high fake right. kid voice. I would argue that Joseph Gordon-Levitt still does it. If you watch a Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie, I don't know if it's just how his yeah. voice sounds. He's like, what's going on, man? Like he's doing a lower <laughs> shots fired on Joseph Gordon. Yeah. I'm just saying it feels familiar. We're all pretending and we're all getting into So we're going back to the audience telling us who we are. The tough guy is kind of like, Women seem to like it when I'm kind of like, hey, or, they, or you see a movie, you see the way Jack Nicholson is in the 70s, and you're like, oh, I'll be like that. Right. We're all faking it. There's The real you well, I think as is a collective. Writers tend to imitate their favorite writers until that kind of- The incubation um, is over? Yeah, until it kind of, what metaphor am I looking for? It's like a jet plane kind of finally lift, and until you achieve liftoff, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm flying now. That's But right. the original thing is every writer, you know- cringes at how much they were imitating whoever their influence was. That's right. I used to write really, really long uh, truncated dialogue because I love Mehmet and mm-hmm. I love uh, Tarantino, who you worked with. Long truncated? Uh, long. The scenes were long. Oh, yeah. I wrote in a lot of like, what the? Like dash dash. I mm-hmm. still do. Yeah. Well, that was a great, <laughs> from the little I know of theatrical history, that seems like it was a great step forward. Yes. Mehmet, in terms of conversational dialogue being poetic. Right, and having a syncopated right. sort of rhythm and all that. Sort and then of stuff. he got too big and became mocked. Mammy? Yeah. I'd agree with that. But uh, th- what you're saying is also true of stand-ups. So at the beginning, you're listening 100% to the audience, who am I? You're also 100% inviting your influences to tea. Right. You're let- I was letting Brian Regan in fully. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, I reached liftoff, and I was like, oh, this is this is what I sound like. But really... There's no fully shedding those influences. You just overpower them at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yep. All right. So, in the bloopers. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you the Mulaney thing first. The dinner wasn't boring or bad. At a certain point, it just occurred to me that I could make it so much more interesting and make life more interesting if I just said, said to him at dinner, Mulaney, in 2020, I'm going to crush you. That's <laughs> like, great. Like... How funny would that be? And I'd Wait, be like, did you or did you not? No, I didn't. See, I'm doing what you said. I didn't follow through. Right. But I told, I mean, I told can, my who wife can blame about you? that. Yeah. Let's but not and say funny. we did. It's very hard to argue with the strategy, let's not and say we did. Right. You know, you get almost all the upside. With, you get the fun. None of the downside. He would not, think that's hilarious it's too. It's not the same. Exactly. But it, it would be way funnier if I tweeted, 
the name of my tour is Pete Holmes, the new Mulaney tour. Like he's going to crush John Mulaney. I'm going to have more fans. I'm going to have more. I don't know that you guys are. (laughs) That that. would be so funny. I don't know. I'd give you more credit than that. I don't think he is so stratospheric compared to you that it would be an obvious. You think it's a subtlety that only you and I maybe would understand. I don't know. I think it's, it's funnier if you know all of the people involved and know the (laughs) interpersonal dynamics and you'd be like, what? That's not how Pete would talk to Mulaney. <laughs> but that's what made it sort of yeah. Salieri Mozarty to me is that only he he would know I'm joking, but I would never tell right. And anyone you have, you have that plenty of fans who don't exactly know who Melania is, you, you know. Like, and they'd I be like, wonder huh? about that. Some, some, yeah. You're right. Some. So it's not like it's not like it's this universal thing. I love that I called out your joke, and I love that. that oh, I love that too. My that God. is like my. Favorite it's always joke. a Gene Sipnitsky joke or a Mindy joke. Oh, really? I feel yeah. Breaking the heart. Breaking the old heart? No, it just, it'd feel good. Right. It feels better. Oh, yeah. That brings me back to what I remember about you and I touring together. One, I was super excited. Two, I remember that at that point I was super college strong. So I knew, mm. I only had to do 15 minutes. So I basically did five closers. <laughs> I just was like, motherfucker. But, but in my mind, I'm like, BJ is going to go, you should write for The Office. Isn't that funny? I'm oh. sure that never really... I, I have recommended your name over the years for various I things. I think you did, and I think I emailed you. So just to say it publicly, you were very nice about it. And like you said, you should write a spec, and I think I did. Oh, cool. And then, oh, I did. And I think maybe I emailed you, and, and you very honestly, and I mean this, I appreciate it when people are honest. You're like, uh, it's not even hiring season. Like, we're not looking for writers right, right, or something. Right. But you were honest. I love that type of. My agent has this thing where he goes, "The better, the second best thing to a a, a yes is a quick a no." A quick no, isn't yeah. that nice? I remember learning that. The yeah. quick no. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you sit on this. He's like, the office isn't hiring, but I'm glad you wrote this. You mm-hmm. said something nice. Cool. I, that was very kind of you. Um, but that helped me get into writing. Just oh, really? For you. Just, it just gave me that like you seemed like a regular guy. You know what I mean? Oh, that's great. I always brace Harvard, for... Harvard, office, yeah. and then we're, we went out and had beers, and I was like... Uh, that was fun. I'm like a guy. Yeah. He's a guy. I'm a guy. You know that click? Something clicks, and you're like, it's just people. I'm like, am I a guy? <laughs> you were a guy. I, I think that is a compliment. Yeah. You also emailed me the next day. You said, you're very good at comedy. You're only okay at beer drinking, because I left early. That's right. You did. Wow, I, had to I get, remember this. I, had to get I don't up remember what like the bar five. was called, but I remember what it looked like. I remember vividly, in kind fact. Kind of medium light wood. And yep. It was cool. When Where I, was it? I, Ohio or something? Pennsylvania. Ohio, yeah. Something, I don't know. One of those fucking states. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Shots fired on Boston, Ohio, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. This isn't good for your no. political career. Somebody said you Na- want to run for mayor. National. Yeah, but LA, I'm fine. You're good. I love LA, as baby. You don't sh- <laughs> I think you're up. Yeah. This is good for you. Totally. You're pro LA. Yeah. I also love Also, LA. how much would you love someone that, that burned all his bridges for any wider office running for mayor? I think that would do a lot like, fuck Sacramento, fuck San Francisco, <laughs> fuck Oakland, fuck San Bernardino. Like, I want to be mayor of Los Angeles. Like, and that's LA. it. Yeah. Yes. It's like, well, he's never leaving for Senate now. He's a lifer. Yeah. You could be the first lifer mayor. I think it's a two-term limit. Do you still want to do it? Uh, yeah. You do? Yeah. Why? Because I, th- I love... It. I love Los Angeles. Yeah, but that's different from. I love a restaurant. I don't want to manage a restaurant. I, th- I, if I could figure out a way, I'm serious. If I could figure out a way to translate my love into making the city better, yeah, I would. I don't. I don't think I could right now, and maybe I never could. But, uh, but yeah, I would. I just love it. I love it. I feel like you're going to. 
I might. I'm not I get totally the strong, kidding. No, I know you're yeah. not kidding. And I get a strong like, sense that yeah. you're going to be mayor. <laughs> like, I'm calling <laughs> it, it now. It would be cool. You're going to do it. it. I would love it. I promise I wouldn't do it unless I really thought I would improve things. I wouldn't do it just as What a would you improve? I'm just curious. We're just friends I talking. W- <laughs> What's your platform? I would, well, I, Museum of Hip Hop, but apparently the Bronx is doing that. You want to make a museum here's of hip hop? Here's the deal. I think there's a lot of ways to make the city better. I don't know them. I bet I could say yes, no to them pretty well. Uh-huh. But I think Los Angeles has a pride deficit, a pride issue. Uh-huh. And Los Angeles is, is one of the great cities in the world. And the kids growing up in LA don't necessarily feel that. They feel that about their neighborhood. But they don't feel that Los Angeles is a place to be from. Yeah. A very, like, you know, a fuck Ohio, fuck Pennsylvania yeah. place to be from. And it is. And I think that investing in the city's identity is a very small investment that would affect the mythology of the, the mythology of the city to the kids growing up in it. Yeah. I think that's really important. It it would affect their whole lives. And I think what I'm interested in, yes, I would love transportation to be better. Yes, I have a lot of strong opinions about education, et cetera. But am I better at that than other people? No more than anyone with good common sense is better than average. Yeah. But I think that I can't believe I sound so serious. I love it. <laughs> We're going to put music on this. This is like a deep, you know, random things are in my heart. But, uh, <laughs> but I do, put music. But I do think. The Gladiator look, soundtrack. I, if I do run, isn't it funny if they dig this up someday and they're like, he is so unprepared and casual. I'll be like, that was from 2020. It's 2050 right now. Um, <laughs> no, you're running next year. I'm not running. At any, the latest. No, 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 no. Yeah, at the latest. Um, because I think that what I'm interested in really are ideas and dreams and sort of there's the material world and there's the immaterial. And I think that the material world is our, you know, you could look at either as affecting either because they do right. The material world affects the immaterial world in that whatever physical experience you have affects how you see and feel. Right. And then of course what you see and feel affects how you conduct your window theory. No, and do not tie me to that, sir. <laughs> Why not? I'm talking very abstractly because it's the Pete Holmes show. It's you made it weird. We talk abstractly and and yeah, though, no, existentially. But so the broken window thing sounds exactly like what you're talking about. No, that's I'm talking something much more bigger level of Plato. Okay. You know, okay, like um, your conception of reality and meaning and what the world is and how you feel about it is affected by the material world. And to me, it's more important than the material world. The material world only exists so that the love and feelings and ideas that we have in our mind are as high as they can be. It doesn't really matter. Frank Lloyd Wright. It doesn't really matter what color a building is. It matters how that affects you. How it makes you feel. It doesn't even matter on some grand level what happens. It matters how it affects you, right? So other people, I think, care much more about the material. They think if people think like this, then the city will run better. Yeah. If other people think, oh, if the city ran better, people would feel this way. So I think that what we do in entertainment, in ideas, in comedy is about we are we, I believe, are devoting our lives to that realm, to the ideas and the thinking and the feeling. I laughed a lot. I have this amazing image in my head. I saw this movie that I'll never forget. These are what is important. These are the things that are important to you and I and to a builder or an inventor. It is likely the other side of the world, right? So I, probably most people that run for mayor are interested in how the trains work, 
I want the trains to work, but I'm interested in how a kid growing up feels about their life. Yeah. And the trains matter to that. But I think that the gift that people like you and I have is, and I think the dark gift that our current leaders sometimes have, is they are gifted at inspiring a feeling and a sense of identity right. for good and bad. Right. But that is a huge quality. That's so interesting. Of, of someone in that position. And if I were to do this, and this is a fantasy, Pete, this is not a plan, but <laughs> that's Kutcher how much I love Los Angeles. When, when you win, he doesn't come out and goes, you've been fucked. By the way, if Ashton ran for mayor, he'd win in a heartbeat. Ashton, you think so? Yeah, he's very smart. He he's cheated on Demi. Did he? Is he that, a, is that an issue? It's for me. I'm just, See, you're back to your 13-year-old voice. <laughs> Hello? Hey. I'm going to try and do it for real. Hey, he cheated on Demi. It's not cool. Um, I, Hello? Uh, I'm friends with Ashton. I love Ashton. <laughs> I remember in the, it was, it, they had had a, a, this is in the book. It's not, I'm not breaking this. She and he had had a three-way with someone and then he had sex with that person. Whoa, I got to read this. Not without them. Uh, that always so happens. I remember being like, I'm not even in the lifestyle, but I was like, I could see someone being like, come on. That's, is that like super not cool? I think it is super not cool. So you're you're with the me on this. I think especially if you're if you're bending rules of traditional relationships, they need to be very clear and they need to be followed. I would also say it's not cool to write about that in a book. I mean that, but it, if it's return fire, sure. I, I understand that. Logic. Do I think it's compassionate? No. Do I think it's like great? I mean, the no, question is it's, what it's fair. I guess what what uh, violation speaks to you more? You know, and maybe the tiebreak is it comes second to me. I, when someone goes through the guy's phone and the guy's like, you went through my phone, you know, I'm kind of with the guy because to me, reading someone's private, like my biggest, if you went through my phone, my biggest fear is that you'd read my notepad, like, you know, notes for jokes and ideas. That's the most intimate exposed thing. It's not about text or pictures, which I wouldn't want someone to go through either, but like that would be my, my nightmare is that someone would go through. Let's read. You know, I have a notebook on me all the time. Let's just read one or two. Yeah. I have a physical notebook on me. I'm going to write down feeling. I wonder if that's... I'm always interested in how people... So if you read this, I would be mortified. But if I can read it... Yeah. Um, No shame in the game. Oh, here's a good one for us. I was reading a biography of Philip Roth, and it quoted an exchange from the book Exit Ghost. I said, she, what have you given your life up for then? He, I didn't know I was giving it up. This is to a writer or novelist. I was interested in that. Um, here's a note. Oh, that's interesting. For Jason Blum, this is a ghost movie, like a jump scare movie, <laughs> from the where we're with the ghost. We're on the ghost's POV. Oh. So every time there's a jump scare, you're like, fuck yeah. You know Wait. what I mean? Like we're rooting for the ghost. We're rooting for the ghost. More scary. Because we saw Emma Stone murdered in the first scene. You know what I mean? And now she's a ghost. And now we're following, you know, Colin Jost as. Patrick Pape. <laughs> and every time something jumps out at him, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a poltergeist movie, but the whole audience is cheering for the, for the poltergeist. I have, oh I have more to it. I have more to it. That's great. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I like that one a lot. I like Thank that you, man. Lot. I wrote that down. That's really interesting. You're going to get so many emails like, that, that has been done 19 times. Um, what hasn't? What hasn't? What hasn't? Yeah. Have, did you experience that phenomenon in writer's rooms where they'd go... Someone would always go, they did it on community. Yeah, there's some of that. Like, yeah. You gotta do it I think your own way, way worse is in stand up when you think of a joke and then you Google it and 
everyone's made it. Yeah, I especially one-liners, which I traded in. I'll put that off. Yeah, I'll put that off as long as I can, because there's a good chance it'll evolve past the point of recognition from the original. But if you knew, right. it's like I, oh, I think morally, if you wrote it and then had to Google if it's been done, yeah. you're you're clear. Yeah, I think morally, but in terms of perception, perception. and including perception of the person who might feel very ripped off. But you, you can prevent it, that you feeling. I've told this story a million, but Gary Larson sent the guy who did the Far Side. Yeah, sent sent all his submissions out to newspapers. Didn't hear back for weeks. He was like, "Fuck it, I'm driving to Chicago." Drives to Chicago, goes in person to a newspaper and sells them. Then he gets back, checks his mail. He had like seven rejection letters, and if he had waited and gotten the rejections, he's like, I would have quit. Hmm. So like, if I Google a joke, I, ha- I have a joke, and yeah. I'm like, this is me, but I'm a little worried that someone's done it. Then I Google it. That's me waiting for the mail to arrive. If I just go to Chicago and know it, morally I'm okay, I did this joke, this is mine, there's a good chance it's going to change and evolve and grow way past whatever the other person's yep. bit might be. So that's why I'm not Googling it. Well, I think that's great. I was doing more one-liners where like, there's no room. You know. Right. It either is or it isn't. Mm-hmm. Which is, that sounds profound. It either is or it isn't. Yeah. Case or us or uh. Different. That's future tense. Is it? Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> the next lyric is whatever will be, will be. Is that? If you don't speak Spanish. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're defining it? Case or uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Okay. I'm using fun. Using fun. I reached into the fun jar and I found some. You brought me here to fuck with me. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm st- I'm mirroring you, so I'm stonewalling a little oh, wow. bit for fun. I don't. Okay. You don't stonewall. I don't. I mean, the audience tells you who you are. I don't feel that way. I feel very engaged with everyone. I feel very engaged with you now. No, you are. Yeah. Please don't feel that. No, I feel very engaged. I know how I come across. Well, let's spin it positively. Yeah. You don't come across as sweaty. No, I don't. You're not like, <laughs> no, you know what? And Which in terms I of the audience telling you who you are, very often I feel anxious, insecure, et cetera. And when I talk about it, it the audience is like, what? No, yeah. What, huh? That's it why doesn't I, resonate. That's why it's, it's my truth, but it's like, that's not who you are to us. Yeah, I know. When I got cast on Punked, a mutual friend said, uh, oh my God, that's perfect. Because as soon as I see you, I think, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> That's, that's why how people see me. That's not how I feel. That's why you're great in hot hot take coming in. Great in the founder. Great movie. That's a hot take. It's hot take. Or do people say I'm bad in that? Not a lot of chatter about the founder. I'm finding. Well, you know whose fault that is. Marketing. Not, not to ride this wave, but Harvey. Ooh. Yeah. Was that a Weinstein? Yeah, and Harvey apparently said he was going to bury the founder as retribution for John Lee Hancock, the director, not fucking him. No, not um, taking his notes. <laughs> Burn. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. He didn't take Harvey Weinstein's notes. Yep. And, and so then he said, John, I'm going to... So he bragged to people, I'm going to bury that movie. Shit on and, it. And he what? did. He did. Mm-hmm. He totally did. It's a good movie. It's a great It's movie. a very good movie. I it, really like it. It had movie. Oscar for Michael Keaton written all over it. Yeah. He's a very good movie. It. And people who find it are like, that's really good. Yeah. It's rare to find a really good movie at that level of just like a slick Hollywood movie, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like Green Book type of movie. Right. Which I think like, I don't think that's the best picture, but I'm like, that's a cute movie. Yeah. That's a good movie. It was across the plate yeah. in a sense that anyone plate. can understand. It's the story of McDonald's. Yep. It's Michael Keaton killing it. Yeah. Here's a specific compliment for that movie other than your performance, which is great. Thank but you. you are a guy that's like, hey, you're fucking up. And yeah. when you show up, you have, hey, you're fucking up face. Right. And I believe that he believes you. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like you Even are a guy that people believe. Younger, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you gave me notes on a script, mm-hmm. you could give me different notes. This uh, somebody else. Some I don't yeah. know. Some weird. I'm I'm casting like fucking. Uh, what's that guy's Tom Arnold? If Tom Arnold's like, I don't know. I think you, you should swap the first scene and the last scene. I'd be like, shut up, Tom. <laughs> but if you said it, I'd be like, ooh, there is you know, something there. Thank you. And I think again, in terms of the audience of life telling you who you are. Yeah. You know, I just did this pilot. I I wrote and directed it. And at, it was the first time I directed at on a, on a larger level something I had written. I've directed for TV. I've written, but I hadn't sort of written and directed. And I felt in the role publicly, it was a very good role for me. It was very comfortable. People felt um, people felt good that I was directing. They, I they would liked, feel good if you they were liked directing. the notes. They could tell I loved their work, their performance. And I had an idea for it. I was living through them of what if you try this and think of it like that. And, um, and I think that, you know, let's say I'm equally good at several different things. Simply the fact that you come across a certain way to people has a lot of value, a lot of added value. I talked about this with Aaron Rodgers, the quarterman who looks a lot like me. They say, that's kind of true. I get it all the time. I'm not even saying that I disagree. I'm just kidding. I see it. (laughs) But I was like, I think why? It's a neutral comparison. I don't think either of us is like, I really? Think- <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yeah, sure. I think you're going to agree with this. I'm forecasting. Um, why do quarterbacks look like quarterbacks? So many quarterbacks look like quarterbacks. That is proof that people tell them you look like a quarterback and they start to feel their interior world feels like I'm a quarterback. So yep. are you a better director? Because your whole life people have been like, listen to this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And then you look Oh, I never so thought of Aaron it. Aaron Rodgers looks like a quarterback. Yeah. And in the movie Moneyball. Right. If Tom Arnold and, I, Arnold and I both say, you know what you should do? Yeah. You listen to me, even if it's the same thing. That's and right. right. And so after a lifetime of that, you know. You which found I the right it, slot. Yeah. Which is like um, mean face privilege, one could call it. MFP? Yeah. You've got serious MFP. Yeah. You're the MFP MVP. Yeah. I like acronyms. But you know... You know, mean face can be a disadvantage in so many fields. It's about finding where it works. Like, yeah, I could know. see you on a date being like, I had a really great time. Tonight. <laughs> and they're like, I guess. Oh he my hates god! Me. I think no. So many, and it's caused me so me. much social, so many social problems. Is that people think that I hate them? You probably get emails, and so they hate me back. Yeah, interesting. And uh, you know, and I also can be very. I can zone out. I can, I can enhance the problem because I don't think there is a problem. You're a very good example of it's never about you and the way you think it is. Right. Yeah. Like if I met you and didn't know you. And I'd be like, that guy was cold to me. And then you start going like, well, to maybe the point where when out. you said how you felt about me when, when we met, I was bracing for, oh God, I probably, he probably hated me, you know, cause oh, I probably no, yeah. was unfriendly and it probably no, didn't even realize great. he asked for help and I zoned out, you know, it was a big deal. In fact, the scene, there's a scene in crashing where Pete takes his opener to a bar. And if you watch that show, I'm not saying you have to, but if you did, you would see that the bar we shot that scene in looks like the bar you and I met at. Because that was in your memory? That was wow. like, so when I wrote that scene, it was in that bar. Oh, that's cool. But it was based on if a headliner asks the opener to come to a beer, and we're drinking beer. I don't drink beer. And I never drank beer on the show, but in that scene, we're drinking beer because okay. it was like, that's what I did with PJ. Oh, Isn't that kind of fun? That's great. I love that. And then a little sweet little mom. Yeah, I do. Sweet mom. Uh, what else? Oh, is that, that's what I wrote down right here. So you can cross it off or no, no, no. This next topic coming in hot talking about how people feel is I'm curious. Sometimes you've, you've sort of done it. You've done some great things and you're going to continue to do things. I'm always interested (laughs) in, uh, (laughs) in how people stay motivated. That's something that I have to do. It's like, why keep doing anything? 
And when you talk about people's interior worlds and the stories that we tell and share being important, is that one of the reasons why you continue to want to write a pilot and direct a pilot? Is that in your mind? Like when you're in the slog, mm-hmm. you did a lot of fucking episodes of the goddamn office, man. That's a lot of fucking time with someone pulling at your shirt and putting on makeup and uh, bloopers and all the stuff, long days. Mm-hmm. To keep doing it, what is the story you tell yourself that gives it importance and some juice and some urgency? Is it about uh, shaping people's oh, lives? I feel like that's a less urgent question. I think, you know, you're on a good show, a good job, good people, good pay. I mean, you know, you're not gonna oh why now you could, do you, it? you're doing another show now oh are you just riding the novelty of now you're directing or are you like are you or is it in your mind like show business and stories has some value uh oh it, it's just you know i wish i i didn't have it this deeply embedded in me that your only justification is what you can make and what you can do because i don't think that is true on the largest level or healthy or even leads to the best work necessarily. You mean if you don't keep producing, you lose your value? Yes, completely. Yeah. So and it's I an insecurity. This, I wonder if you have this too. A friend of mine calls it the artist's accountant. The idea that whatever you do, you have to kind of write it off in your head. I was like, well, that was that was good vacation because I recharged and I, I had oh. that conversation. I had that idea. Okay, good vacation. You know, you have to oh, wow. be able to justify to your accountant why every single thing you do counts as a business expense for your creativity right and i've had that since i was seven years old you know as uh, honest <laughs> that was a good God. birthday party no as it... early as i remember really I, yeah i couldn't what was it like as a kid what were you... i couldn't just enjoy anything without thinking it would lead to some achievement of mine oh. in the future and so i you know people ask like what would you do if you you know retire you know like i, I don't even know exactly how the question's phrased. it's a famous question yeah and i think i can't picture doing anything where I, I felt I wasn't reaching the maximum amount of people with what I want to share. And it's, maybe it's about ego. It's not about, um, but it's not about what's the word, um, glory. It may well be about ego in the sense that it is the justification of the self and the narrative of the self, but it's not about glory. It is about what am I if I'm not, Mm. if I'm not doing that. That's like what a therapist would say. say, BJ, who are you if you aren't achieving? I, I don't know. No, really. <laughs> and it doesn't bother you? or It does, does bother me, yeah. It does bother you. Um, yeah, that's. I, it sounds like I'm an achiever. There's something called the Enneagram, and uh, there's a type called the Achiever. Hmm. And like the questions, it's like taking a Cosmo quiz, but it's very long. But the questions that are definitely nudging you towards being an achiever mm-hmm. are like, it is important what other people think of me, <laughs> like is one that you would be like, very important. Oh, off the yeah. charts. And, and I don't want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Again, the audience tells you who you are. I, I want to tell the audience. But uh, who am I without their telling me? I don't know. Interesting. It's a conversation. So, so you do it because it's a compulsion. I have a very deep moral sense that I am supposed to. Is it because you're lucky that you get to? No. It's just because clocks tell time and comedy writers make shows? It's, it's again, as, as early in my life as I can remember being conscious, I, I wanted to be an inventor. I want you know, every, I always thought I'm, I'm supposed to do some big Where thing or why am that? I here? What? Where did you get that? What I were your no idea doing? because my parents didn't like it. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Wow. did not like it. It's like a case for reincarnation. I'm just so, obviously it's also just a case for the way that Jesus I went to work. Harvard. My parents were like, no shit. 
No, like, really? Went, yeah. I'm like, all right. And that was you. <laughs> Sounds stressful. <laughs> like, I, honestly. My parents, and everyone's like, did it come from your parents? No, they, they thought I was weird about this, about this. To try to go to Harvard. No, just anything, anything ambitious. But going and, to Harvard is And they were like, calm down. Going to Harvard, I think the most impressive thing about going to Harvard is that someone in high school was like, I'm going to Harvard. <laughs> That's... It's like green lighting. It's like sociopathic. It's like I'm running for president. That's right. Yeah. There needs to be a helpful amount of delusion. Saying right. I'm going to be a comedian. Or I'm going to be a comedian. Is a I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be anything. Is delusion. Is delusion. Yeah. And that's, that's why what... you have to do all these things young. Tell, Generally. Tell me everything. Because when you're young, you know, I think that I went through a lot of, um, of sort of, I don't know, uh, delayed development or a sort of a weird pause in personal development when... You know, I was on the office and, and punked, which it's funny to say, but that felt like a very big deal when I was 24. And Everybody that was, watched both. Yeah, everyone watched it. And I, I had never been on camera before. And all of a sudden, um, I was on that show after Dax left. I replaced Dax Shepard. Mm. Shout out to another podcast. I'd rather you didn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you cut, that's that's that the part you cut. Cut, cut um, that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, Dax is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there is probably, developmentally speaking, you know, the sense that you are the center of the world, you know, is something you're born with, that your parents, every, everything in the world is about you, right? Yeah. And Can I you, interject? Yeah, I please. used to think as a child that the world was a simulation. You know that thing that I think, I think it's normal, but I don't know if it is, where you're like, what if I'm the only real person? Oh, yeah. I still think it sometimes. <laughs> I think that's unique to us. But I, no, you, it's not unique to us if you that? think about it. Even the sense I might win the lottery, yeah, you know that I have more in your mind. It's a one in a thousand chance. You know, it feels like that you win the lottery. Yeah, all of that mathematically that means that the reality of other people is not a hundred percent true to you. I remember buying a lottery ticket and then flying to Oakland really for a wedding, and I was like, "All these people are buying California lottery tickets too." Wow! <laughs> like, right, right, right. I'm just oh, because you of... saw a large group of people. No, I just I'm in Oakland. I took a plane and I saw a billboard for the lottery. And I was like, they're still selling them <laughs> ah. up here. I'm dead. That's funny. You know, I remember being at Bonnaroo or something and looking at a huge audience listening to Stone Temple Pilots play. And I was like, everyone here has a phone number. It's like yeah. that sort of feeling like, right. That's mature. That's good. I, you're starting, but it was, it's dawning on me later in life. My, I was in my twenties. A very I romantic moment that my mom recounted was that before I was born, when my mom was pregnant and nervous about it, they were at Fenway Park. And my dad said to her, see all these people, every single one of them was born. Yeah. I love that. I love that too. That helps me with death anxiety too. Oh, you can't die? Little old ladies die. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. have some courage. Everyone oh, does it. Oh, I'm, a, I'm scared to die. Everyone does that's it. That's cool. Everyone fucking I does it. I never thought of that. Like, relax. Everyone never does thought it. thought of that. Oh, it's, it's only me. <laughs> you and everything that's ever born. Right. Dear do it. Right. You can't do it? Like, fucking turn the volume down and just go with the flow. It's mm -hmm. what it's what was going to happen the second you were. Right. Fucking nuts. So you had that. I had that. Well, I think we all had it. I'm just saying my my experience of success was that right around age 24, I'd say, because I lived a lucky life. Um, of shelter and all that. And mean face privilege. Yeah, I mean face privilege. <laughs> um, I think around 24 is when you it kind of dawns on you like, oh, 
I'm not like special, special. Like I'm just a person. Yeah. And that's exactly the age where basically Hollywood was like, no, you're right. You are special. We're going to put your face on TV. Everyone's going to treat you different. Oh you, my no, no, no. God. You were right the whole time. Oh my God. And then it took a long time. Then it was until like, you know, another eight years when I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I think we're uncovering you why early. if you're not achieving, you disappear. Because at that vulnerable uh-huh, moment maybe. where you're like, I'm not special. It is a dangerous thing when Hollywood goes, you are special. But I don't Have you know. ever been I think, humbled I don't greatly? know. I think that if I had... Oh, yeah. But I don't think that if I had not achieved that particular success at that particular time in my life, I, I don't see myself not... I don't see myself having felt like my existence was justified without work being accomplished. Even if it was spec after spec or manuscript right. after manuscript or... You know, you would have done it. Mayoral victory over mayoral victory. I would, you know, <laughs> you're a do it guy. I, I'm a justify your, your existence guy. Get it out. I here's, don't know. here's a leading question. I only ask leading. Oh, questions. look who's the Cosmo survey now. Nice. Thank you. I loved it. Quiet moment. Backboard with callbacks. That's my new identity. Backboard. I'm sorry. Brick wall. Oh, damn it. <laughs> ah, backboard's better backboard because it has a positive connotation it helps the ball go in right because it is moving things forward right Val the number one I, backboard thing everyone 100 percent. what the way everyone says 100 percent. Ah, it's just that's just that's just the backboard catchphrase these days to keep just keep momentum going 100 percent. british people have so many of those 100 percent. you know what i mean I, even though you were just doing a bit i liked it worked it. yeah i liked it it worked Val, can i tell you can yes. i brag about something exactly about what you're saying with yes. me it's so funny, the things that as a comic you are most proud of. They're all for private audiences, my proudest moments as a comedy person, because it, it gave me cred in my own head. Crush him. Yeah, crush right, right, right. You. I'm serious. I will That's crush probably you. when you think, oh, was, I'm, I'm born to do this. What? Yeah. That's Mulaney. What? Um, so I was getting my hearing checked, and the doctor said something like, um, so raise your hand, you know, whatever. And I said, what? Or whatever. And as it took bit? her as a bit, and it took her a second. Mm. And then I said, does everyone do that joke? And she said, yeah, but that's the first time it got me. <laughs> wow. I felt really good. Yeah. What? Oh, my God, BJ. Yeah. We are cut from you know the what I same mean? cloth for yeah. sure. The other was- People always right. ask how old Lila is. And I go, you know, we don't know. And mm-hmm. it never works. And when it does no, that's work, good. I go, I'll grab Val and go, they laughed. And she knows <laughs> what I'm talking about. She knows that because she's like, people think she's adopted or something and you don't know. And I'm like, no, it's just a bit. <laughs> Can I just brag now? Can I just because I'm on yeah, being recorded the other time, the other private time, I was at a restaurant and the restaurant's like half full, and I'm joining a table of friends that were already there, and I go to the table and girl sitting in the chair, the next table. And I touch her chair and I say, "Excuse me, are you guys using this chair?" Hilarious. And they look at me like, "What? That is, is this so guy? funny." And just like my That's friend like Ch- laughed. Chelsea Peretti goes, "Do I have anything in my teeth?" And then she doesn't show you her teeth. She goes. <laughs> It's like the funniest yeah, thing in the yeah. world. Yeah, that's how you know because I think I don't know. Is I, anyone using this? Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only comic with sort of comedy cred anxiety. But no, right? Don't we all have it? Of course. Yeah, yeah. It's what we're living. When you do those things for nobody and they work, you're like, okay, I love it. I belong. I'm I, in. I'm in. I'm born. I in also just love it. Like, yeah, of course. I love that. Well, my that's brain the same thing. You is trying to delight me. Yeah, I love that. That's we take cool. it for granted, but I'm like. Uh, my brain, like laughter is one of the best things in the world. And mm-hmm. my brain, when it's just me and him, tries to make me laugh. Wait, me and him? Oh, you and your me brain? And my brain. Oh, it's male. He, well, <laughs> you should see his big old dong. <laughs> uh, the frontal cortex is shaped like a dick. Well, it's a weird thing for everyone. 
for me. Oh, yeah. Great. Val uh, is a very talented, creative person. And I am a uh, very achievey person. And we're always having a conversation about how... So this is kind of a question for people who might be like Val, who love doing things, but they sometimes have a hard time um, bringing them to reality, manifesting them. Mm -hmm. Does this make sense? Yes. What I'm saying is I'm looking for tips for people, because there's millions, that are wondering... How does how does it feel for you to get things done? You have an idea for a spec script. Yep. How are you how are you just brass tacks getting that done? I'll tell you exactly. Hit it. I separate inspiration from execution. So this notebook that I'm waving right now yep. that I carry with me all the time. Okay. Um I just write Same down story. any fun little idea like the you know, horror movie idea or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just don't put pressure, I don't think about it, I don't expand it. I just anytime some little thought makes me smile, I'll put it down. Yeah. Then when it is, say, 10 a.m. on a Monday, I sit down, I go through those notebooks, and I think, all right, how do I make the best out of this? How do I make the best out of that? You know, often there are ideas for things I'm already working on. All right, let's try to put this in the script, whatever. And I find that that is my best um, way to eliminate the stress and anxiety of a blank page. It's like, well, I just write down whatever I think. And then, like, that's basically my homework whenever I get in front of my desk is like, all right, what can you do with these things? Right. And then your 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 best is what you do. Also, you're saying you sit down, not because you're inspired, you sit down because it's 10 a.m. on Monday. No, I feel like doing something. I'm like, oh, Oh, let's let's achieve something. But you do wait until you feel Let's look at those notebooks. See, I think that's... No, no. I I do in the course of a day. Yeah. Um, I wait until I've had enough coffee and enough rest and enough, like, fucking around on the internet or magazines or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, all right, all right, let's do something now. Right. But see, that's, that is the unfair X factor that I also have. Meaning we've done the time to do it. It's not just the time. It's that it's unpleasant to not do it. Oh, that is where I was that getting, is the gift. Of course. I, I really think that's the gift. One thing that you, it's also a person that I, any day where I didn't do anything, I feel I can't justify. I often in bed at night, I'm like, all right, did I have a day? And I list all the things I did. And I'm like, Okay. All right. That's a valid Monday. So that's you not any a, way to live. No, it's not. But it's also why it's, you've it's, achieved yeah, more. Maybe. Than, you've achieved more yep. than I have because you have it worse than I have it. Oh, I have it worse than you have it. I'm saying I have it. If it's a bad thing, then you have it worse. If it's a good thing, you have it better than I do. <laughs> what I'm saying is if I have an idea, what I like to do, and this is in Mad Men. I lo- well, Ram Das, is this why you have him over your on your wall? So that for exactly this kind of... I look at him when if I'm If he's ready. the arbiter, you win on this one. What do you mean? If we're like, let's ask Rob Doss, which one's better? <laughs> to have to justify your existence through well, lists he, of accomplishments or to just be in the moment? He would. He'd be like, I'm with Pete on this one. <laughs> I feel like he'd be, vote. he'd be a rascal and he'd know that I'd want him to vote for me uh-huh. and to teach me a lesson. He'd be like, you're both wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or something. That's cool. <laughs> something fun. Because he was funny. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't just That's give cool me what that I wanted. That's cool that he was funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to him about being special, and, I, and he was like, I was like, so let's just be special. And he, and he was like, tisk, tisk. Wait, you knew him? Yeah. Wait, I didn't know that. Not, not. You know, on the Shandling one you did, you guys, he was talking about it. Did Yeah. Wow. Ram Dass comes up on almost every podcast. Before that picture was up. Oh. That picture's been up for, I don't know, six months. People often think it's Alan Alda. That would also make sense. Yeah, my inspiration. Yeah, he is a great. He was great in Marriage Story. He was. Yeah, he was great. The whole cast was perfectly cast. And that comic relief is so necessary in that. There's movie. a lot of comic relief. No, I know, but he knew what he Bombeck knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, being like, let's have one of the funniest people ever be the bumbling lawyer because you're going to need it. 
And even Ray Liotta, I thought was funny. Oh, there's a lot. And that guy and Laura that she Dern hooks was up funny. with, and the line that you overhear at the party is that Japanese are making a tequila that's pretty interesting. And I love that line. That was a great there's all kinds of lines like that. Okay, so Val and I are walking yeah. this morning, and just because we're interested in the creative process, you're talking about writing things down. She's, she looked at an apartment building and she said, this is the kind of apartment building that if you look at it online, it only shows the amenities. <laughs> I was like, that is, this is the kind of apartment building. Oh my God. So That's fucking funny. funny. Yeah. And I was like, the, I said, Val, not that I, she's not my student. I'm just like, that is a great opening line or a downbeat. I go, That's a Greta Gerwig. If Francis Ha says mm-hmm. that, Noah Baumbach knows and, Fran- and, and Greta Gerwig knows, you include that. It's such a character and if you, telling observation. If you wrote screenplays and you carried a notebook, that's something you'd write in the notebook that would make the script. And that's what I told her to do. I don't know if she did, and maybe she did. It, she also told a story about going to see the musical Cats, and her friend who had never seen Cats just accidentally dressed like Mr. Mistopheles. And I was like, that's hilarious. That's like, it's not like you wouldn't hang a whole scene on it, but I like downbeats where someone... Oh, yeah. Is just saying, and she dressed exactly like Mr. Mosopheles, and yeah. then the scene starts. It's like those are precious to that would to be you fun. You know, in the office, we had a separate um, cold open sort of process where it's just sort of like, all right, let's write some cold opens. You know, we were we were it. there, we didn't have anything to do. You could put them in any episode, and I feel like it would be fun to have a splinter room sometimes that just wrote non sequiturs to open a scene. That would be so fun. I like, am fascinated with them. And when I like a pilot... And Creed lines, sometimes we do that. Maybe Creed once. is very, very... Is very non sequitur. That is a specific art. Val and I watched the best of Creed last night, too, and I was like, when he talks about doing a casual cartwheel, <laughs> tell me you wrote that. I did not write it's that. It's so fucking funny. It's so specific. What a fun thing to discover the talent of these people that maybe weren't necessarily going to be on the show, but then... Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think there's anything more fun than going Phyllis, and then you start writing for Phyllis. I yeah, think yeah. I know you know this. This is really fun. It was great, cool, though. It was great. So, what I was saying was, when I have an idea, it's in Mad Men. They say if you want to come up with a great idea, think about it really hard, and then put it out of your mind. And he goes like, two days later, it'll just kind of come to you. Hmm. And I really believe in that. I think Mad Men is about making TV, at least on one hmm. level. That makes sense. And that's a big Don thing Don Draper says that to someone or something? He does, yeah. Huh. He goes, I like that's, that. That's how you come up with it. So I'll think about something or I'll read something that I'm going to base something on or whatever. And then like, I don't like getting up in the morning, but it'll wake me up. And that is the gift. That is that like, it, it'll be unpleasant. I actually talk with it. My brain will be like, you should get up and write this down. Mitch Hedberg had a bit. I was about to quote that Mitch Hedberg bit. Yeah. Like, unless I convinced myself it wasn't that funny. <laughs> yeah, if the pen, if the is, pen too is too far, far away, <laughs> I convinced myself yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. that funny. That's such a writer joke. Yeah. Because I often don't want to get out of bed or I don't want the screen of my phone to light up my face and wake me up and I'm emailing. I'd say 60% of my emails are to myself and they're just little ideas for scripts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and the subject is what the project is and then I can search for it. That's an effect. How do you... How do you make it so you can search it easily? Uh, from colon, uh, subject colon, and then the word in the search bar. So you have to remember that idea. You don't just say idea or something so you can search No, let's say the show is called The Office. The subject of all of the emails about The Office will be The Office. But let's say you have a new idea. Yeah. Right now. Yep. Called Chair. Right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Do you, then the subject that goes, is Chair. How do you? That goes in a note app. Yep. Under the. Which uh, app? Regular note, note Master. Okay. And then I, uh, there's a file called TV Ideas, Book Ideas, Movie Ideas. 
And you, you'll laugh, but not you, but maybe someone might laugh. On the way to general meetings and stuff, mm-hmm. you, have, you have those meetings mm-hmm. with producers or whoever, and you don't know what the meeting's going to be about. And they might, it might feel appropriate to soft pitch a movie. So at yeah. Red Lights, I'm looking at my file movie ideas, and I'm yeah. just kind of skimming them. I wish, and maybe Blake Ross, if you're listening, will do this. I wish they, they, there was a good note-taking app that you could sort of hashtag things so that they immediately went to four different because sometimes you have an idea and uh, that could be standard that could be a tv idea it's kind of a journal entry yeah if you could write that idea and then just hashtag it three things and it went into three different files Ooh. i'd love that but you make apps i have made an app yeah i thought There's, you were making another app maybe am i i watched the thing about you in my my old research <laughs> that said you made the list app yeah for two years yeah and this story said he stopped doing that app to make another app. Oh, the other app was sort of a different iteration of the same thing. Okay. Um, so that's over. But uh, I don't think I'll do that again. No it was apps. so much work. It was fun, but it was so much work. Yeah, it seems like a lot. It was so much. Whenever I've had app ideas, I've been like, I wonder if I have an app idea on my phone. Let's, Let's not say fun. we did type of thing. <laughs> like, don't look this up? No, no, no. I mean... You know when you have a lot of texts and you're like, what? Is something must wrong? Be nice. Oh, you are funny. <laughs> no, no. I have stand-up special ideas. Wait, what can you tell us? Let's, sort of concepts or titles? I don't know. Let's open it. Oh, these are all bad. Essence theft. Oh, it's a special where you let other people do other people's personas. Mm-hmm. That's not that good. Here's a file I think you'll appreciate. Great. Random funny moments. That's sure. a writer's file. And what kind of stuff is in there? Homeless ring. My girlfriend wants her Oh, my girlfriend wants a ring that costs $3,000. Um, and then this is very curb. I, one of the reasons I wanted to break up with her with urgency was because her birthday was coming up and I wanted, I had Perfect. to get that ring. Perfect. So while I was breaking up with her, I was like, you're making $3,000. Is that bad? I once joked that every time I break up with someone, my business manager sends me a bottle of champagne. <laughs> oh my God. These are, these are just writing things. Do you like writing? Ooh, great question. Great question. Um, I love it, and I and I hate it. I love it more than I hate it. It's a, what's unpleasant about it? Oh man, just the um, you know Philip Roth's line about writing is um, ditch digging is hard work. Writing is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a nightmare. You're never off. He says you have to sit at the keyboard and bleed. That's another one. I like. yeah. Uh, you're never off. Meaning you, you're always thinking about it. You're always think. You're always working. You're all. You know. Um, oh, it's like a lot me of saying about it. that when we were having those beers, part of me was filing it away and going, this is a scene always. And then always, it was always. Yeah. Yeah. This is, if you have to write a scene about a podcast, you would be like, well, dumpy cow. Well, sometimes, you know, this notebook, I think leave it at home, just experience it. I can't, I'm yeah. anxious. I'm like, well, then I'll have my best ideas. Yeah. Then I'll really have true experiences that I should write. Yeah. You know? so, I have ideas when I'm rocking my baby. And rewriting sleep. is awful. Rewriting is awful, yeah. awful, awful. Yeah. yeah. Going and back. Something, and yeah. Surgery. You need to fix something. Surgery. You don't know how. Yeah. It's like you don't know where the heart is or and where can, the lungs are. If this will puncture that or if if maybe it's healthy to begin with. Right. And the person who said it was sick is wrong. Right. Oh, man. You can go forever That's about that. That's a good that. one. Somebody said, I think it was Judd said, it's not the note. So if the network gives a note, he goes, it's not the note. It's where they gave the note. I thought that was very Where? useful. So if somebody says the scene between PJ and Pete doing a podcast felt a little long, 
Yeah. It might not be the length, but there's something about that mm-hmm. scene that that's you need a good, to address. That's a very good observation. He's like, go in and, and play with it, but you don't necessarily have to shorten it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds very Jed. Right. It can be the same length. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I often find when something is too long, it's because I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, when you really know what you're saying, the line's two lines long if you need it. That's right. That's right. They, know. When they both have great long monologue after monologue, oh, this, it's so great. I don't really know what I'm saying. That's why I can't cut it. Right. But then that, I'm a big believer in the sloppy first draft, like a long ass first draft. Yeah. And then when you know what you're saying, you can go back in and, and cut it. Somewhat for me. What What is it for you? Um, it's more technical as you go. It's a little, it's with excitement as I go. I think my best process is, you know, well, with everything with scripts, you never want to outline as much as you should. You're like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let me write right, the dialogue, right, you know, right. and then, then there's a problem. Right. So you should really, and what's good about a writer's room is that those cards on the wall, you have a lot of people helping you, a lot of people challenging. You can spend a ton of time on that outline. Right. And when you really have the outline right, the script takes a week, you know? No, I know. Yeah. If, a, if a story is even loosely broken, I love writing it. Yeah. I love writing yeah. it. That's the part that I love. Of course. Breaking the story is hard. I heard that the French system was, is, that there's a separate writer for plot and for dialogue. And I was like, oh my God. You could just be the dialogue writer. You could just be a dialogue writer. (laughs) Like Luc Besson is a story person and then someone else is a dialogue writer or something. I think Luc Besson is involved in this structure somehow, which makes sense because he has like 400 movies or something. That's so cool because somebody broke them for him. Yeah. And I bet there's plenty of people that are good at breaking. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know how it actually happens. You do that part. And I'm like, bring it on. Yeah. You know? Have you ever seen a ghost or an alien or anything like you can't explain? I, uh, I have not. I would like to. What were you thinking about? I was thinking that I sometimes the you I'm very anti body? I'm very anti superstition. Um but ghosts are just my kind of weakness. Really? I kind of have some sense of ghosts. Like you don't kind want of to make sense to me. What's the superstition though that, that ghosts exist? But to me, astrology, all these things are superstition to me. I hear you. But ghosts are your your weakness. Ghosts are my weakness. Because yeah. you're afraid you might see one. I'm not afraid. I'm I'm as eager as I am afraid. You'd love to see one. Yeah. You just start writing in your notebook while it's while it's haunting. Oh, you. I have a lot of ghost stories in my notebook. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You? Oh yeah. You have your poltergeist one. Well, that yeah, I didn't even think of that. But have you ever had something happen that you couldn't explain? Has a psychic no. ever told you that you were going to blah blah and then you blah blah? No. You? Everybody's heard mine. But I had a I had a, a psychic over the phone. My nickname for my girlfriend at the time was Boog, and she said, "Who's Boog?" And just to because yeah. you're a smart person, I wasn't writing Boog on her Facebook page. There was no like prep time for this person. That's good. I just had a phone number. And she said, "Who's Boog?" That's fucking nuts. That's yeah. That's, that's good. Nuts. I'm trying. Lewis Black told me some great psychic stories, and I'm trying to get that psychic on the story. Uh, on the podcast. That's cool. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. So you're open. I'd come back for that one if you want. You want to just sit in? Well, everybody well, wants part to talk it. to a psychic because it's like talking to a doctor. No, you know what I mean? Like, I would not. First of all, no on two levels. It's not like talking to a doctor and no one likes talking to a doctor. Everyone likes talking to a doctor at a party. Really? What if you have a mole Did the doctor hand? tell you this? Uh, what? You're fun. Oh, doctors are You've never big-headed been, parties, my friend. A, if you're ever with a, par- a doctor at a party... Chances are someone's going to say, I, I've been having dry mouth. <laughs> or they just really, want, they want a free party diagnosis. Yes. Maybe since you had a kid, you're going to different parties. Nah, dude. 
Every time I meet a plain clothes doctor, I'm just like <laughs> plain clothes. My, my hip, like clicks. they're undercover. My 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 hip is clicking, yeah. and they're just like, oh boy, here we go, and they do it. So similarly, you meet a psychic at a party. Everybody wants to be like, yeah. So you know, my dad died. <laughs> they just right. want to. Is he showing up for you? Right. Because you want him to say it for free. Right. Like when I have therapists on the show, I get free therapy. Uh huh. Psychic. That's free psych. Free psychic. I guess so. He's gonna say. If yeah, you yeah, saw you're an right. aura behind my head, you'd be like, well, you yeah, have a comedian on the show, free comedy. That's to, me, right. it's, it, to me, it's closer to that. Okay, yes, not a doctor. Yeah. But similar. Sure. You both saw. both hits at parties. Do you. I had an amazing comedian at my party and an amazing doctor. Tell me about. <laughs> I'll talk to the comic. <laughs> Doctors in cars getting coffee? You right, know, exactly. Ca- caffeine that... will elevate your heart rate. Shut yeah. up. But a little bit's fine. I wanted to do a, a Twitter trend, uh, Dairy Seinfeld, where you just come up with ice cream flavors for Seinfeld characters. Oh, give me a couple. I didn't come up with any. I just any. came up with yeah, the hashtag. So that's, it wasn't but uh, Katie came up with, <laughs> what is it? What's the deal with? Oh, she had it. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. All right. I'm so that didn't work. Dead. No, that never took off. We're not going to edit this out, though. We're going to edit it in. No, so no, you, this you, is good. You have to hear it twice. I'm saying on Twitter. No, I haven't done it. Oh. I may do Dairy Seinfeld. Oh, wow. See if it goes viral. Okay, I'll try to help. <laughs> I don't even know what it... I still don't know what you would pitch for it. Custer Kramer. Cust- these are, these are flavors of yeah. ice cream, but dairy. George. Mean, George, George milk. Like, Costanza. Crustanza. Cr- are eggs dairy? Yes, right? Great question. I say yes. Milk or eggs? I think they're That's poultry. Weird. I don't think they're poultry. <laughs> I think th- I consider them dairy, but why is it all milk related except for one thing? Yeah, and it's a You were a vegan. Come on. No, I know. That's why I'm familiar with this topic. And not that familiar. Cuz you have to be like I don't eat dairy and they're like, "Well, it's eggs." I'm like, "Eggs is dairy." Oh, so it is dairy. For the layman, I'm sure a farmer, if I interviewed a farmer, it'd be like, "Eggs are actually called ovarian, my bubbles." Well, you should have one on. You get free <laughs> Farm knowledge. What do you think of the sky tonight? Is it going to rain tomorrow? <laughs> he knows. Uh, I had something. What was it? Oh, Quentin Tarantino. What was that like? Amazing. Tell me everything. Um, Did he make you chant because we love making movies? Yes. Tell me that. Who told you that? I'm a big Tarantino. That's a secret. Right? No, just kidding. Um, all the time. A- he does love making movies, and you love making movies. And I remember, you know, no matter what I ever do, I thought at that time it'll never be more exciting than this this is the dream come true you know because it was awesome well because i was where was that flying off to berlin it was in berlin to a big celebratory kickoff dinner with brad pitt and quentin tarantino you know yeah and i was like brad you know i remember one night we were filming and it's you know literally brad pitt in a white tuxedo and quentin tarantino framing the shot and i'm there yeah you know i was like no matter what i ever do and i was young you know like no matter what i ever do it will never be as exciting as this. And I still feel that. Are you one of the undercover guys in a white tuxedo? No. 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 One of the guys, Antonio Prese. Oh, Omar. Is, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Is a, that's the name of a director that Tarantino loves. Margariti. That's right. Yeah. Margarita. Oh, I think Margarita was Brad. I forgot. No? All I Maybe know is your friend Omar says the name of a director. Oh, then that's Omar. Of spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Of Italian spaghetti. Well, right. And then that director is referenced in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too. That's right. And because he changes his name slightly. And Maybe. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is based on Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, and, something yeah. like that. A few. Uh, what was it like? How, what kind of a director was he? Brilliant. What, how did he direct? Well, it was very, um, 
Because there's different styles. It was very reassuring because it was, you know, he's the greatest director and it was, it made sense to me. You know, it's funny when I watch a bad movie, I think I could never do this. When I watch a great movie, I think, I think I know how to make movies. You know what I mean? It's the greater it is, the more intuitive it feels. So his style. It's like an iPhone. Like hmm. somebody had to design an iPhone. You give an iPhone to a baby, it starts right. like figuring it out right yeah. away. And that was a lot of pain. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it was rehearsals. It was, let's try this. Oh, you rehearsed a lot. A medium amount, a little. Yeah. A lot of people don't rehearse at all. Rehearsals yeah. and, um, you know, there's just so much ecstasy in every decision he makes. Like he, what, was, he was ecstatic. He was ecstatic about the whole process. So choosing every costume, choosing every gun, the ceremony of now everyone will choose the gun that they carry. You know, <laughs> just there was so much ceremony and so much love. And again, the ecstasy shows in every, it's ecstatic filmmaking. So he's, he's enthusiastic. I'm, I'm going a step further and saying ecstatic, but of course he's enthusiastic. <laughs> he's beyond. And it's very, um, it's magic. See, you know, that's it's, what it's I want to talk about is like, you're, you've made nine movies. How do you maintain it? Like you said, we should really own the fact that somebody that made Firefox wants to do comedy. So that, in that, mm-hmm. I hear effort trying to own and enjoy yeah. how great it is that we do what we do. But for me, it's an effort as well. Not yeah. always, but every once in a while I have to be like, Fucking stop it, Pete. You have nothing to complain about. This is the greatest thing in the world. And Tarantino seems to have that for movies. He's just like, this is the fucking greatest thing in the world. Yeah. How you maintain that is is an art form in itself. Like how you don't go like... I don't know. I think it's yeah, naturally it's like great, surfers, but it's cold. But do surfers lose their love of surfing? You know? I don't think so. Pure surfers. The yeah. ones that didn't belong there. No, I think if you, love some, if you love music, you always love music. On The Office I don't think season, Barbara Streisand, she can't retire. How many you know? seasons of The Office did you do? Nine. So season nine. I think I did eight and they did nine. I okay. wasn't there last season. Season eight. You're uh-huh. there. It never got, you never had to be like, shut up, BJ. Huh? Like, stop complaining. Or in, inside. Like, this is the most fun you'll ever have. Like, you oh, never I did had not to, feel that, no. Which part? This is the most fun you'll ever have. So you were kind of... I noticed in the bloopers you were often not laughing. I never laughed, I know. <laughs> I think I was not having enough fun. That's what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, there was an effort to enjoy the dream job. Well, there always is, you know. But there's always- Tarantino just going, pick the gun. Like, oh, well. He should be over it. If anybody should be over it, nine movie in guy should well, be like, I, I don't know. It. I mean, look, he, he gets grumpy sometimes too. And I was in love with, you know, my job sometimes too. Right. You know, at the office, I think everyone goes up and down, but I think in general, your love, you know, also I, I wasn't the boss at the office You know, I was part of it. So there's a lot to chafe at. Right. Know? Right. Right. So I think he's the boss in his movies. Right. Oh, so that kind of salved. It. I think it's different. Yeah. Do you remember a direction he gave you or a, a moment? Yeah. At the very the last, c- you're in the scene with the phone call. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, the very last shot of the movie you know, when Brad and I smile and nod at the camera, he was like, you know, he's like, um, this might just be my masterpiece. You smile and nod. And I was like, do you wait, do we smile and nod on the line or after? It was a very valid question. Yeah. He's like, BJ, you just fucking smile and nod. All right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to mess up a Tarantino movie. You also want to make Tarantino angry. Yeah. You know, that was the only stressful no, was I there a reverence? Did everybody seem on their A oh, game? Yeah. Are yeah. you kidding me? We called that Judd lag. Judd would direct an episode of Crashing, and then the next episode would be someone else. And like a substitute teacher. Would call it Judd lag. Hmm. Suddenly, That's people funny. were a little less hut to. Kind of a pun, too. 
Jet lag. Jet lag. Yeah. Ooh, didn't realize. You didn't? Nope. Just living my life. Some. Hmm, One okay. day at a time. Someone realized. Nobody realized. Nobody? If I'm not realizing, they're not realizing. <laughs> they only realize what I tell them. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's like being the big cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, yeah, okay, you get it. Um, yep. I don't have any other. He told you to smile and nod. Was that a practical effect with the bleeding? No. Wait, wait what? Was it digital? No, it was a nothing very digital. Shot. Very little is digital with him. Were you there when they shot the cutting into the guy's head? Because it bleeds very mm. realistically. I don't think I was there, but it. he gets that stuff right. Yeah, he does. It looks like they're doing it, and it's very disturbing. Maybe. <laughs> That's how we did it? No. We don't know how to do it. We're just going to do it. Who yeah. wants to donate their forehead? Yeah. I'll be the first to say it. He's a very good filmmaker. Oh, did you like Once Upon a Time? <laughs> I loved it. I saw it five times. I've seen it four times. Yeah, well. It's incredible. You love it too. I also love it. And it makes me sad because I don't think it's going to win awards for some reason because there's so much hubaloo. About what? The Joker. What? The Joker is going to win instead? I'm worried. No, it's not. I'm pre-worried about it. Um, You think Tarantino will get Best Picture? He might. I don't think the Joker will. Eh, I'm saying it here. Okay. Because somebody farted in the right wind machine. What I mean by that's that. a cool phrase. I don't know what it means either. I don't know what I the mean. The right wind machine. <laughs> don't fart in that wind machine. <laughs> this one. I think we know what it means. I didn't like the Joker. Who cares, BJ? But you think it's okay. What did you see, Little Women? Yeah, I didn't like it. Hmm. You know why? Uh, why? Interrupting chicken. Who? <laughs> <laughs> why? You don't want to know why I didn't like I it? I do want to know. I want to make it clear that it is a good movie. I just love the original so much. Ooh. I couldn't watch nice. a shuffling of my nice. favorite movie. I like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're we, such a hardcore Of fan. the original. Yeah. Winona. Yeah, that's and, the way. And fucking Susan Because everyone Sarandon. else is shaming people who don't love it because they're not like, you know, artistic and feminist, et cetera. But you're I, like, I'm more that than you. <laughs> I didn't think anything was wrong with the original feminist yeah. one. Yeah. I also had an issue with knowing that Laurie, because the biggest moment of that movie is Laurie turning her down. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. And if you open with the knowledge that she becomes a writer and that Laurie turns her down, it really ruined hmm. what I think is the biggest part of the movie. Okay. The first time I saw Laurie turn her down, or her turn down Laurie, I, was, I couldn't believe it. It was, like, it was like I see dead people. I couldn't believe it. Stonewall. Cool. Nope. Don't say cool. Say 100%. 100%. I don't say that. I just make fun of people who say it. I don't but I'd say rather it. you say it. Okay. Because those moments are killing me. <laughs> Which moments? These. I, I think your listeners like it. They're enjoying it. I think it. they get it. But they, maybe not. I don't know. The, people only listen to this <laughs> podcast. Like three left. To see who I'll be with the guest. And this oh, is a Pete I've never been. Really? Well, I'm enjoying it. That's that's new, new. That's not what you mean. That, what you that's mean? the new Pete is actually enjoying it. What what do you mean by this is a new you? The guest will make me be different. Okay. If you were being right, right, I get that. So yes. how are you different? I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm shooting arrows. <laughs> In an attempt to. <laughs> no, I just mean I'm being deliberate. I'm oh. drawn. I'm asking more questions. Oh, okay. There's more answering. Should There's I be a asking lot less, more? Like fart noises. Should I be? No. Okay. This is this is what is, great, and I'm cool with it. I love it. 
This How is so you? much better Tell than me. a conversation. If we had just gotten together for lunch, there's this no is stakes. so much better. There's no stakes. Right. This gives an urgency. Yeah. There's a bomb under the table. And we just said, you sound so good with the mic and your headphones. Don't right. You think? When you I have can, a mic at the house. You can hear yourself. I have a mic. It's not plugged into anything on a mic stand. It's to practice stand up just so I feel comfortable feeling it. I love that. And sometimes people who are over, they just, you know, okay. without even realizing they pick up the mic, it just feels good to hold. Here's a good one. You, I dated Jamie Lee, who played my girlfriend on the second season of Crashing and, uh, and beyond. You dated Mindy, and you wrote a show about oh, her dating people. Oh, here comes the people. clickbait. Here's the clickbait. Okay. No, I'm, I'm curious what that was like for you. What was the second part of it? I, you dated Mindy Kaling. Yes. And then you were working on her show. Mm-hmm. And that show had moments of relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what that was like. Um, for you, because I sort of did the same thing. Oh, it was um, it was great. It was creatively fun. Um, yeah. We were on very good and secure terms. Did by you that ever point. recreate things that you guys were going through? Well, funny. I th- I thought I definitely noticed a line or two that had come up in our relationship on the show mm-hmm. that I was kind of honored that it stayed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, because she wrote it. Yeah, she wrote it. Yeah. Um, you know, there was an arc. That we did. I just meant maybe th- these moments you were you weren't writing. You were non writing. I was producer. in the room. Okay. Yeah. No. Non writing. Oh, I thought you. were No. No. I was. Writing. I was writing. But I was a consulting producer. I was in the room. I wasn't there every day. Oh, okay. They wrote a lot that I was. You know. I, I was worried that I would it often sounded... see an episode and I hadn't participated in that particular episode or scene for right, sure. Right. You know. I was worried that it sounded like I was surprised that Mindy wrote it. A woman. No. No. no just, of course no. she wrote it. No. Of course. But I thought I'm just saying I was not full time in the room. I was there now and then. So then it's even more interesting. You would then watch something. That's and what I'm know, saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but, like, oh, I think I remember that. You oh, know, now and then. Touche. Yeah. Did she represent the Novak well? Uh, I think simply in the fact that those moments stuck with her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't think it was. I mean, I understand your question. No, I don't think it was bad. Um, or necessarily good. I think it's simply as long as it isn't bad, it is good in that, oh, wow, that really like is permanent with you. Yeah. That memory, that, that, even that awkwardness, that, you know, um, that we did an arc that was kind of fun in which we played, we played a little against our relationship in that we were dating and that I was in love with a separate best friend. It was kind of fun. <laughs> And that was sort of inspired by real. It was no. It was. I mean, it was sort of a play on what our relationship had been a little bit, and that we we were not like best friends. But why aren't they together? Or they are exes or anything like that? Which is our dynamic. It's more that I don't know. I had that dynamic with someone else, and it was hard to date her, uh, which was kind of fun. I don't think we planned it consciously, but we kind of knew. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like when when life can bleed into mm-hmm. what we're doing. What about God? Oh, is it ninety minutes? You bet it is. Um, what about God, BJ? Um, I believe in God. You do? Mm-hmm. The Jewish one? Uh, I only mentioned that because you said you keep kosher. I keep semi-kosher, yeah. Um, Casual kosher, mm-hmm. both with Ks. My, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do believe in God, and I was with someone recently, someone I just met, and we were having sort of one of those heart-to-hearts that only happened like with strangers in a special like environment. And I said, my secret is that I'm religious, and nobody knows, <laughs> including me, you know? Um, I, what do you mean, including Well, you? I don't think of myself that way. Um, but I privately, you know, when I said before, I've this impetus to 
do everything I can with everything I have and to share it and that must reach people. It is a religious feeling. It is something about God and my life and what I'm supposed to do. And I grew up, um, you know, I went to Jewish day school for the first three years of my life. So kindergarten, first and second grade. And, um, while I didn't like the school at all, at least not after kindergarten, um, it was such a, it is so formative to have your first experience of the world through a lens of God. Mm. And I think that has never left me. Nothing has ever been that powerful to replace that. How much was taught to you at that? I don't know what a Jewish day school is. Like. Oh, it means um, five days a week. Yeah. Every day at school. But I mean like. But half of the day is religious. And oh, it's Hebrew. half the day. Yeah, a full half of the day. Whoa. And I was terrible at the language. I hated the structure. I was like, what am I? <laughs> the language. No, I hated Hebrew. You can't even say Hebrew. Whatever no, it's called. The language that they taught. I, yeah. Whatever this <laughs> I is. I think it was Hebrew. I, that's how little I responded to it. No, I hated learning it. I didn't uh, respond to it whatsoever. I was bad at it. Um, and so I didn't like it. And going to Mason Rice Elementary, the public school, I remember asking kids, how much Hebrew do you have here? And they were like, none. I was like, well, not none. How much do you have? Like, <laughs> Zero. I was blown away. This is third grade. I was blown away that an American public school didn't teach Hebrew. And then he went, what a um, mitzvah. Yeah. Nice. And they said, mazel tov. Um, way, to, way to pronounce that tov, bro. Thanks. Too many tovs out there. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I, I, and I, I think that Jewish teachings gave me a way into that. I do not think by any means that any... Um, path is more right or wrong. Well, some I think are kind of wrong, but in general, I, I think Ooh, details. <laughs> well, come on. There's a couple. Of, um, <laughs> but in general, I think that the fact that there is something instead of nothing is the most profound um, and indisputable existential argument towards something that could only be approximated by our understanding with a word like God. Yeah. Um, I've heard, you know, the only counter argument I've heard to that, which I, I'm not a fan of, is I heard I, it was some physicist saying you don't know that nothing is the default. Something could be the default, and therefore nothing would be the miracle. That's cool, but that only I don't think that contradicts this idea at all. The fact that there is something or nothing. The fact that all, yeah, that's right. That know. there's anything to have a concept of. Is, yeah, yeah. Fine. If the other thing's the default, then that it does not change it. It's, that's it, interesting. By the way, that's a cool turn on its head. It doesn't square with our sort of innate understanding of somethingness, somethingness, but yeah, sure. That's what Ramda says uh, in, there's that great movie going home on Netflix, which I've been telling people about since, since he passed, it's a great intro to him. And he says, I think that this incarnation implies other incarnations, meaning being itself is this wonderful clue to how the universe is. I have this stand up bit where I'm like, I believe in an afterlife because an afterlife would make as much sense as life. Like life is preposterous. Mm. So everyone's like, life is preposterous, but after you die, there's nothing else that's preposterous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's, wow, I love that. That's a bit based on a Ramdas teaching, which is this incarnation implies other incarnations, which is he was a believer in reincarnation. I believe in that, not in any direct. I don't think you become a squirrel or anything. You don't need to but believe you know in it directly. I'm, I'm with you. Quote, I, I always say his name wrong. Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh. Thank you. That when a cloud disappears... It didn't disappear. It became rain, became other things. Right. That that is what death is. Right. That as soon as I heard that, I was like, yep. Nothing goes anywhere. Yeah. That's a huge, I love that. That's a huge mystical cornerstone. Yeah. Of it's any obvious tradition. to me. 
Right. I don't know exactly what it means, but well, I, I also do. You know, the one that I love is that when a, a vase breaks and the air breaks and the air in the vase joins the air around it, that's also what death is. That's another Zen Buddhist thing. So there's air in a vase. Death is the vase breaking, and then you're the air, and you just kind of yeah. join. So nothing is going anywhere. Yeah, nothing can go anywhere because this is all there is. Yeah, and this this she just keeps. Well, I think that's why the thing to be afraid of with death is the fear and the anxiety. That's right. You know, I've never been afraid of death, and yet if I got a diagnosis, I think I'd be terrified and and obsessed with it at least for a while. Right. Not going to. It doesn't happen for a long time. But I think that death in the abstract doesn't actually, I know some people that it terrifies them every day that, that does not affect me. And I think it is because I do have some long-term, that is my innate sense. But, right. uh, well, well, religion can do that is gives you a place in the universe, meaning you are a part of a thing. Yeah. And when you die, the thing is still happening. So it takes right. you, the narcissism involved, right. In the fear which of is death. out, which is a protection against our fear of mortality a lot. That's that, right. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's a very, it's very rich in Judaism specifically. It's like the, the, the cultural element, the communal element is very strong in Judaism. And it's like, we are Christians, for example, we have the, this is not my home. I'm just passing through kind of mentality. To me, that is the more communal spiritual sense. Christians. Yeah. And, and what you just said. And I think Judaism is, I'm not, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Yeah. Interesting. That to me is more Ram Dass than Judaism, which is more justice oriented, which is more individual oriented. That's interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'm gonna, I find I'm the New Testament from my little knowledge of it very beautiful in that sparse, spiritual, mystical way that Buddhism is. I think it is much closer to Buddhism, even though it's all Jews who end up writing yeah. books about Buddhism. Right. You know, that is true. Yeah. That is true. It's interesting, depending on which gospel you read. That's one of the things I think you would enjoy. It sort of circles back to what we're talking about, the audience telling you who you are. As Christology progressed, Mm. meaning like how we interpreted Christ, the gospels progressed. So the gospel of John is the one that you're talking about. And that's the more like, that's the Buddhist one. Which which one is that in? That's the fourth or? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, yeah. It's yeah. the fourth one. So, so I it think, had kind of refined to that point. I think it was to start it to that point. It's the latest Which one. makes more sense if you think, well, not that the Old Testament, New Testament were one continuous thing, but transitioning out of that mindset, in a way, it would make sense. That's I know right. that's not how it happened. That's right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But that's why the Gospel of John is sort of the most fun one to read, because it has all of these things. You're like, like, whoa, dude. This is straight Buddhism. Uh-huh. It's like, it, I'm paraphrasing badly, but it's like, you know, whoever's in me, I'm in them, and, and you are everything. It's, it's all that, like, it's just this, baby. It's just a cloud evaporating. It's all that stuff is in John. Mm-hmm. And then the, I think the oldest one is Mark. And Mark, Mark is the one that I always say at the end. The original end of Mark is Jesus dies, and uh, nobody believes that he's resurrected, and it just ends. <laughs> Whoa. It's like a very dark ending. Nice. But then it's amended. There's an addition to the end, end of the gospel where they're like, but then all the Christmas stuff happens. It's very interesting. That's cool. But I like that as a piece of mythology that you can watch evolve with the evolution of the people that were writing it. Yeah. And when, I, when it was Richard Rohr that taught me that idea that the Christology had developed, the idea that Jesus was the Christ and the Christ is the world, a word for the oneness of the universe that didn't develop until like about 150 years after he was gone. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. What am I, Joseph Campbell? I don't have enough time to, I mean, it would take a lifetime to 
study that enough to get all the depth you could out of it. But I, what I love about what you're saying, to bring this back to you, is Thanks. that being religious, but Finally. you don't even let yourself know that you're religious, I think yeah. is one of the truest expressions yeah, absolutely. of religion well, I've, I've been, ever heard. I've been in such a secular... I, religion is, is somewhat embarrassing in um, not just... Uh, not just not just hollywood not just but um i think to art to you know religious art tends you know it's like christian rock yeah religious art unless you're creating art unless you're in the renaissance period yeah it feels um really just lame well imagine making art from a place where you're like here's a very long list of things you can't even think like you can't think that right that's a sin but then, you know, when a hip-hop artist wins a Grammy and thanks God, that's real. You know, yeah. that's religion. That's, right. I guess, closer to my sense of religion in the sense that this comes from a spiritual, unexplainable sense of connection and, and desire to connect to something infinite. That's right. Even if it's a little naughty. Yeah, no matter what it is. Completely agree. Yeah. When I was growing up, I remember very vividly reading that the guys in Blink-182 were Christian. They were like, we love Jesus. <laughs> And I was like, what? Like, right. it really blew my mind. And of course, I just wrote them off as like, well, they're heathens, they're wrong, they're liars. Right. But now I'm like, yeah, you can write about the silly pop punk stuff that they're singing about and love the Lord. But I thought loving the Lord meant that you only would write Christian rock. Right. But that's what you're doing, too. Like, if Tarantino was like, I believe in a higher power. No, I he has said that. He said, he, he said once that, that, you know, his only, in one interview anyway, they asked if he believed in God, and he said, the only way I do connect is sometimes when I'm writing, I feel this isn't coming from me. I've and quoted that's, that. that's exactly the same thing I'm talking about. Well, listen- Where else I, would any of this come from? That's right. Dude, when, when when people say that's just your imagination, I'm like, what is an imagination? Right, right. Like, that's, like, we're taking too many things as foregone conclusions. You're like, well, that's just a figment of your imagination. I'm like- Who's imagining what? Like, right. you either trip out on the fact that something's going on between your ears or you don't. Like, yeah. And I think there should be more language to separate. And the only one is spiritual versus religious, which is such an LA cliche to say yeah. that. But, you know, the straw man of, oh, you think Noah really built an ark and it really could sail? Yeah. There are a lot of people who believe that. And you do need to separate that because that is not what I believe. Right. But, also, I think most people who believe in God, it's, I think everyone is religious, really, is my theory. Everyone is religious. Secretly. Secretly, without even realizing it necessarily, because we all have this innate knowledge that we, we don't know the first thing about what's going on. Right. And any good spirituality should take you to that conclusion, is the humility I think that of would we be don't great. know what's going on. I think that would be great. Yeah, but if you talk to Richard Rohr, he'd say that. He's like, all of this is bullshit if you can't say, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And Einstein right. said something similar. If you lose your right. sense of wonder, right. but you the might the co-opting. Well be dead. By, by literalists. Yeah. By um, narcissistic liter- literalism. Yeah, or basically anyone who believes, that's an extreme, but anyone who believes in more, plenty of rabbis and stuff that I grew up with in respect, you know, also believe more than I do in the right. actuality of the wisdom of the specific Bible and teachings other over other sources. And all of that, um, that can encroach on the very simple binary question of, do you believe there is something infinite or not. And you're left with a very wishy-washy statement when you say, you know, something instead of nothing. But I think it's a very profound yeah. statement that everyone starts from. And those rabbis, by the way, I used to maybe look down on them and be like, well, they're just fundamentalists. Fucking Jews. No. You're notorious. No. No. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. I now see that as somebody 
pouring themselves fully into their method. Of course. Knowing that the juice that they get from committing to their method might be deeper. I don't necessarily think every fundamentalist is doing that by any means, by any means. But a, a minority of them is going, I know what you're saying. My love affair right, right. goes deeper. I, if I don't bring that up with my date with God, I don't go. Did you really make the ark? Yeah. You just go. Please, just ju- just commute. That with taught me. me something. Please, about just, you. What? No, that's what you're saying about that's the right. Ark. That's right. How else? Joseph do we Campbell, learn? that that documentary, the famous BBC or yeah, PBS or whatever. He he says towards the, I don't know, middle. He says that if he had picked one spiritual path, he probably would be closer than he is, but that's yeah. not him. Yeah. Him is to learn everything he can about everything. And when he died, he was, he was his hospital bed, there was a crucifix over it, and he was really, really happy to die under the myth that he was, his first myth, which uh-huh. was Catholicism. So he was like, it would talk about how you feel. It was a very emotional and appropriate and beautiful opening, heart-expanding response to seeing the first myth that he had. Yeah. So here's the most intellectual expert of all time, and then he just had like a childlike, reportedly childlike comfort in just going, let's just go with the one. Let's yeah. just go with the one. That sounds, I didn't know that. That's and you know, great. on my deathbed, like as much as I enjoy other deities and stuff, I'd probably be rocking it with JC just because he's the one that I got first. You know, people say they're afraid of dying alone. I want to die alone. I want By my yourself. last moment to be with God that's and be okay. like, right. <laughs> Just a private joke. It was all at the end of the day. Just you and All him? the people I love, just me and him coming oh home. Oh my God. It was all, you got it, right? Yeah. That's I just, so that's to good. me the highest ending. You are the coolest. That is the coolest answer. I love that. I was thinking about that. There, Because I believe that God is a metaphor for awareness itself. It's like awareness, our awareness, your awareness is like a drop of God. God's the ocean. And the drop of awareness that's making you conscious is mm-hmm. God. That's why... If we went to outer space, God is there. It says in the Old Testament, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. Well, I what think I'm outer saying, space is where we picture God, to be fair. Some people. Way, way, way Not up me. there. Not me. There's nowhere I can like go where God is, and that's what's so in cool Temecula or something? <laughs> yes, he's in Temecula. Yeah. Or it's everywhere. Right. Wherever itness is, there, you can't be apart from it. That right. was one of those trips. When I was a kid, I was like, so... God isn't in hell. And now I'm sort of like, if you did wake up in some weird afterlife situation, if you were, you were still with God because God is isness. Does that make sense? Um, I have a question for you. Hit it. Do you think there's Wi-Fi in heaven? Because you know hell got hotspots. That's my boy Fudge. What? He goes, do you think there's Wi-Fi in oh, heaven? Oh, really? And then he goes, because you know hell got hotspots. I didn't even know this. Was, I wasn't even quoting. I, Fudge texted me this morning, and there you are quoting his bit. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, Fudge my... was not, He's a very funny comedian, Christian comedian, or he's a comedian who does the Christian circuit. Okay. And, and he's a Christian. He texted me this morning, and then you said that. That's what does he mean by that? He's just doing a bit. Well, we all are, but... Yeah. I mean, he might mean something. Then he said something about the cloud. There's some... I think he... Sure. I, I mean, it is. it is very... There is a lot of spiritual um, metaphor question about the internet, the cloud. And what I was talking about materialism and immaterialism, like a lot of people are spiritually shaken that all of your photos, all of the books, all of it isn't printed anymore. It's just on the cloud. Right. But to me, all the, f- the material world was getting in the way. It's, it's the memories, it's the experiences, it's what we saw. 
the ability to see the picture in your eyes and your mind, that's everything. Everything else was just a middleman that oh, come wow. to fetishize. Interesting. You know? And then objects do have a value, though. I mean, objects I don't can. agree. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I think objects only have a value in what they mean to how we feel. That's their value. So like no, go tell my, they any my more daughter's does money teddy bear. does a dollar bill have value, or does it? Is this, it a way to? Well, get I'm actually thinking of, of a stone that you pick up on the beach and you're rubbing it, and mm-hmm. it makes you feel good. That's the value of that stone, right? But if you felt that same thing without that stone, then the stone would be irrelevant. That's right. But I right. do feel it when I'm rubbing the stone. It makes me feel good. Great. There's the value. But the if, in, the, in a reality that a lot of people find um, creepy and scary, if you had some virtual reality consciousness where you felt that you were rubbing a stone but it's our instinct exist. yes our instinct is well that is not as real well, my now, belief now is that it's more real but it, uh, your belief because is what's real is what's happening because the stone is just rapidly fluctuating bits of energy so it doesn't exist nothing exists well that's true so it is a simulation when that's people are like point. i believe the world is a simulation you're like yeah my you know what's brain funny to me is that those are all atheists who can't bring themselves to believe in the narrative of a God. So they believe this way, this preposterous idea that basically, and you know how everyone... Is Hinduism. Saying the world is is a simulation is Buddhism, is Hinduism. Fine. I would even go a step further Mm. in that the same way we anthropomorphize God to whatever our conception is. It's a man with a beard, whatever. You're right. They're like, it's a programmer like me. That's (laughs) It's like an Elon Musk type. That's, because that's what you worship. That's straight, it's just religion. That's brilliant. You're the king. Hey, you, tell it to you. You win the potty. Whoa, the potty. Wow, for best guest. Well, Richard Rohr says you go to. Um, he's like you go to Germany. God is a is a rule keeper. You go to Switzerland. God is a negotiator. He, he has the, the Swiss are negotiators. I don't know. I sure. do it. But what I'm saying is, you go to the West. God is an achiever. God is money mm. and success. Mm-hmm. And and pe- Trump says he's a Christian, and people are like, yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. and you and you go to China, and right? Because it's a Western, it's a Western religion. Not so a what you're saying religion. is, I'm just it's just my fancy way of agreeing yeah. with what you said. Of course, we project the metaphor that makes us feel seen and right. heard. It's like, oh, I'm not religious. I believe. In, <laughs> I believe in a program. Keanu Reeves is God. <laughs> you know, dude, karate kicks. What a great God talk. Good God pod, dude. Oh, so this is sort of Christian pod. This is a Christian pod. Yeah, like this is the Christian rock. We're doing right. That's why it's incredible. Cool Christian rock. That's why it's incredible that it's this good. Do you ever um? Do you ever perform on the religious circuit in that sense? Like I could churches and church. You couldn't. I couldn't. You could probably put together an hour. That you know when they we were really on like. crashing, I would write Christian material. So I did this routine about the Bible, and it was very funny. And and my my good friend Yoni was like, "You could make a killing, yeah, and just write an hour of very good." clean Christian material. And I was like, I hate the feeling of performing for people where there's it's bumper bowling. And I know I, I, I can't go in the gutter. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you want a bumper bowl? Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've spent my whole life being like, if I can't talk about sex, if I can't talk about doubt, if I can't talk about penis. Oh, no, you should be able to be yourself. But if you could engineer an audience that would love exactly what you most want to talk about, I would. Oh, for sure. Okay. But I don't think that would be... Oh, I wouldn't cater to the like bumpers. Like, if, yeah. if, if I started really doing the real Christian circuit, 
well, there goes swearing, and I love swearing. You know, yeah. like that's a problem. That's a big problem. It's a really big problem. It's a big fucking problem. Mm-hmm. BJ, tell me what you should be saying. The time, big fucking problem. Tell me the I was time. Waiting for you to go there. You've laughed the hardest in your life. Watching the movie Windy City Heat. No, really. Yeah. Oh, so you're mean. I, you know, it didn't occur to me <laughs> that it was mean. Me. It didn't guy. feel mean to me. I understand. I don't know what it is. Pranks, you know, when I did punked. Feels like I can't get over that I was on punked. Feels like I you think that is my main. I mentioned lot. it more than the office or anything. You did. When I was on that, my mom was like, "I can't watch it. it's too mean." And I was like, "Mean." For some reason, pranks don't feel mean to me. That's fun. Um, because you, I think it's because I do have a sense of meanness. I of what is mean and what isn't, but pranks somehow they're just so funny to me that I get blinded. Because by you're it. the guy that goes, "None of this is serious. None of this is that real." So we might as well tell Justin Timberlake he's being evicted. I I don't know. I mean, I guess. Like when Brendan Walsh said yeah, it. Yeah, it didn't feel mean to me. It felt like, oh, Justin's going to love this. Not that I was involved in that one. No, I know. It was, but watching it. That was a Dax one. That was Dax's classic. That's a Daxic. Yeah. Nice. Oh, you liked that one. I did. Resting mean face didn't. I wasn't sure. I'm smiling. Well, you're smiling right now. Yeah. You look like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I'm like how Aubrey Plaza smiled for the first time every episode of Parks. Hilarious. Like, I never saw her smile before. Yeah, you did. Last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Same impact. You just don't think of her as smiling. You forgot. And we're back to the original subject, which is the audience told her that she doesn't smile. You know, she's like, I'm smiling uh-huh. right now. Yep. I remember the editor in the office telling me, Ryan doesn't smile. I was smiling on some scene. So what part of Windy City? He- the whole movie. When I couldn't he said he, When he said he went down on somebody for a part, I was like, yikes. <laughs> that made me feel <laughs> I didn't real remember bad. that. I, I don't know. That was the first thing that came to mind when you said. No, I love it. I love it. Well, we know it's not at the bloopers. You're coming in and out of my headphones now. Is this, are we Okay. I think it's just your connection. Okay. I got to pee so bad. I feel like we're good. Do you feel good? I feel great. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, fuck this. <laughs> Would you say keep it crispy? You, thank you for being a guest. I love that. Keep God it Christian talk. is what I'd say. <laughs> I loved it. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Say, you got to, oh, you're going to say keep it Christian. That's good. That's it. Yeah. That's what you said. I love it. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks. So crispy, my ice cream make you always wanna get me.